Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and this is our other co-host. I'm the other co-host. My name is Drew, and you are listening to episode 147. Wow, that is quite the milestone. We are counting down. We are ticking it down to 150. Wait, man, doesn't that mean we're counting up? Whatever, you know what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm not a big fan of precision. I just say what I feel because feelings are more important than facts. (laughs) I think if you've listened to us this far, you ought to know that about me by now. Details be damned. (laughs) I'm gonna break into someone's house and I'm just gonna start kicking over tables and uh, flipping flipping chairs. Knocking over books. Whatever, man. (laughs) Why do you have to do that, though? I don't know, because I'm vindictive. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering, what do other people have to do with this? Why do you have to go into people's houses and... It doesn't matter. As in most things in life, other people just happen to be there as a byproduct of my existence. As far as I'm concerned, when I close my eyes, everything else in the world ceases to exist. Everything only exists by the grace of me. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, yes, we are ticking up to 150. That's that's quite an achievement. So I I don't know yet if we've decided to do anything. I don't know. Uh, My my feelings on that are kind of mixed. 150 is a good solid number, but I don't know. Are a lot of places in the habit of doing something for 150th anniversaries or as a milestone? We could do something for our 157th episode just to be different. I guess. I guess. I mean, I guess I'm just curious because is it what's the general rule on that? Is that one of those things where everything is done in increments of 25? I think so. I feel like most comics that actually manage to reach 150 issues usually do some kind of giant-sized issue or something. Okay, okay. I mean, 150th sounds more impressive than 125th. So, there's that. I don't even think we did anything for 125th. Exactly. You know, if we could we just had... not do anything and just wait until we get to 200. Yeah, I feel like that's the big one. That's the one that we should. Or we could really not do anything and wait till we get to 1,000. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yep. know if we'll live that long, though. Uh, I think we're making a pretty good pace. Uh, there, There's a chance we'll live that long, right? You're pretty optimistic tonight. What happened? I don't know. I... I think it's not really so much my optimism as much as it is how bad I am at math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, a thousand episodes at the pace that we go, I, I don't really know exactly how many years that's going to take. So in my mind, it probably isn't a lot if, if I'm just estimating. But for all I know, it could be a whole lot of years. Yeah. And you're probably very right in assuming that we'll be well and dead by then especially <laughs> considering the way that i live my life and the amount of people that i piss off on a daily basis yeah <laughs> uh i'm just a magnet for contention and aggression and hostility 
Um, yeah. But anyways, speaking of uh, countdowns, count ups, whatever you want to call it, that's a pretty apt transition for us because tonight's episode is one in which we are returning to the subject of uh, the DC top 25 comics of all time, even though this isn't actually that list quite yet. It is a subject that is very much tied to that topic because we are going to be talking about the list of honorable mentions. So, yeah, uh, we've got another comic on on that list of honorable mentions that we're going to talk about because even though it didn't quite make that list of top 25 DC comics of all time, it's something that we have a lot of respect for and still feel deserves to be discussed and talked about and recommended for those of you who are our listeners. How does that sound to you? I agree, man. It's one of those things where uh, even these comics in our honorable mentions, although they didn't make our final top 25 list, they are things that are still worth talking about and still worth shining a light on, promoting, and yeah, discussing, thinking about. It's not meant to be a slight on them. Yeah. Although, well, if we do any dishonorable mentions, that's definitely meant to be a slight. Exactly, exactly. I, think, like, I actually think this is, it's it's about one year since we did that episode on the death of Superman. So it's it's been one year it. since we've got the most meaningful bit of hate mail uh, that we've ever received. <laughs> it was nice. That guy was funny. Yeah. Well, he wasn't funny on purpose. I laughed at him, not with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but suffice it to say, he didn't like our episode on the death of Superman, and he decided to message us on Instagram, because if you went to his uh, Instagram, you could see that he was a dude that loved the death of Superman. He loved the idea of Doomsday. You know, he was basically someone that looked like an, a grown man, but who was probably 10 inside his heart, inside <laughs> his mind. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, so he, he left us a pretty spiteful message and then immediately blocked us. Yeah, so, he was yeah, too cowardly even, to, yeah. to, to wait for a response from us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he saw that we had hashtag Doomsday, and he went to our, uh, to our Instagram to see what we had to say. And when he found out that we had nothing good to say about Doomsday, he, he took it personally. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you went to his Instagram, his Instagram was nothing but, like, statues of Doomsday. He had, like, CGC-graded uh, copies of all of the issues of the death of Superman and, like, the <laughs> issues leading up to the death of Superman. You know, this guy just, he was, a, to him, that was peak art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty pathetic. He's he's basically a raccoon, just you know, garbage garbage can digging, bottom feeding trash dweller. Yeah, still it felt kind of good to realize that we got under his skin. Yeah, anything Without that reminds me that I matter. Yeah, exactly. We exist. <laughs> yeah, we existed to that guy <laughs> for a fleeting moment. Yeah, I. Somewhere out there, I, I still like to think that even though he's blocked us and, you know, we don't have access to him, I sometimes like to think to myself that he still hate thinks about us from <laughs> time to time. And, like, 
you know, just totally <laughs> like clenches his teeth and and you know swears vengeance at us because <laughs> he's just that kind of person. <laughs> and that brings that puts a smile on my face. Yeah, that's a pretty heartwarming thing to keep yourself <laughs> uh, warm at night. Exactly, exactly. I will say this though about this comic that we're about to discuss, which is um, even though it is an honorable mention, and even though it didn't, you know, quote unquote, quite make it to our list of top twenty-five, I I want to say that it actually, in a way, it kind of did make it to our list of top twenty-five actually, because it was tied for the twenty-fifth spot with a bunch of other stuff. I, I think there were at least like six other books. No, no, four. I think. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to check our spreadsheet that was we used to make our yeah. calculations. Yeah. All I know is it was it was tied for I'm pretty confident it was tied for twenty fifth spot as I remember it. And that twenty fifth spot, I'm not gonna reveal what we actually put th- put there because we will discuss it, but I will say that it was a hard decision for both of us to make. And I think you know it it could have been the kind of decision that actively opened up a civil war on between the gutters, but <laughs> in in the name of peace and in the name of uh you know solidarity, I I chose to uh 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 stand in solidarity with Drew for his choice, and I I I was fine with what our twenty fifth pick was because in the, at the end of the day they were all worthy picks, so there's that and. Yeah, I, I think that's why I, I still thought, even though this wasn't the one that we ultimately chose for our last pick, uh, I still wanted to talk about it because mm-hmm. I I had just read it last year, uh, you know, as we were preparing to make our list of top 25. So I felt like I had to read it. And after reading it, I was super into it. So Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should go into it. We should stop being mysterious about it. We should just rip that Band-Aid off and let the people know. Let the people gaze into the gaping, uh, pustulous wound of what lies beneath the Band-Aid. So I think if they look at the title of the episode, they'll probably already know what we're going to talk about. Why do you got to piss on my mood, man? (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the middle of setting something up, man. I, I know, but I just figured Let that... Let me have my theatrics. I figured that the truth would, uh, you know, bring you back down to earth a little bit. Uh, okay. Well, perhaps... There, <laughs> is there a way for us to title it so that we don't give it away? At the... <laughs> I could give it a fake title, like episode 147, The Return of Superman. Uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> and I'll, I'll hashtag it doomsday maybe that guy will come back and listen to us <laughs> i want him to come back just to listen to the first few minutes of this to to know that we piss on him <laughs> okay anyways the comic in question today is scalped uh yeah um you mind giving us a little bit of the background on this drew the background uh, by background, I mean, uh, you know, the creative people that worked on it. Okay. I, I, w- I was uh, bracing myself because I, I didn't actually, you know, do a ton of research into 
the historical origins of the creation of this comic. I only know the people who were responsible for making it. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping that you had picked up on that just based on what I said, but that's all good too. No, I I, I uh, didn't have a book report prepared or anything, so all I can do is just read you the credits of the people responsible. <laughs> Sounds good but to me. Scalped was published from 2007 to 2012 under DC's Vertigo imprint. It was created by Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra. Aaron, of course, was the writer and Guerra was the primary artist, although over the course of 60 issues, there were a handful of various other artists who stepped in from time to time. Uh, there were a couple of different letterers as well, including Phil Baldsman, Steve Wands, a few different colorists, uh, particularly Lee Luridge, whom we discussed a little bit last week when we talked about Fury, My War Gone By, and also Julia Brusco. And it was edited by Will Dennis. So the series ran for 60 issues, which is quite substantial. It was a uh, one of the long-running uh, Vertigo series from that era because that was kind of the, I want to say like the last really good productive era of Vertigo before they died. I'd say so. Like we still got a couple of few good things out of Vertigo, but in terms of overall production, I'd say like. Yeah. In terms of long-running series, I can't, think of a, I could be wrong because again I, I didn't do I probably should have done my research before making this claim but I can't remember a Vertigo series that started after Scalped that lasted 60 or more issues I don't think there was one like I feel like the other books that were launched after it probably didn't make it past like 40 at the most I think the longest running thing and I don't know exactly how many issues it was but I feel like it came out after, and that was something that was kind of the last comic in the Vertigo era was American Vampire. And oh yeah, that's true. American Vampire. American did. Vampire wasn't something that I cared too much for. Um, yeah, yeah, that's probably why I forgot yeah. about it. It was probably. I want to say that it might be better than a lot of Scott Snyder's other work, but it almost doesn't matter because it's about vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Way to be completely dismissive. <laughs> oh, well, I know you for sure don't have any particular love for vampire fiction. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I might be only marginally more forgiving of it, but only marginally. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I'm willing to entertain the possibility that a vampire story could be good. But, well, I guess the thing that puts it over the top is the fact that not only is it a comic about, about vampires, but Scott Snyder wrote it. <laughs> I ain't a huge fan of him. So yeah. the combination of those two things was enough to, you know, wilt my wiener. But we do acknowledge that it existed and, and did have a pretty running. long run. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. I just did a little bit of checking online. Northlanders actually launched about a year after Scalped, and that oh. lasted 50 issues. 
Nice. That was yeah. a great series too. So yeah, Northlanders was 2008 to yeah. 2000, 2012. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we, we were still in an era where stuff was being put out, stuff that was good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There were, there were some other Vertigo books that came out, you know, a couple years after Scalp had started, but they just didn't really last too long. Yeah. For the most part. Like, I, I think about Greek Street by Peter Milligan. That oh. one that one was less than two years in terms of lifespan. I want to say Sweet Tooth came out a little after them, too. I mean, that didn't last nearly as long as 60 issues, but... Yeah, that's that's a good point. But, you know, I felt like for what it was, like, for the length that it was, it was exactly what it needed to be. So... Yeah, you know, you're right. I don't, I don't know if, you know, that was planned or not planned or what, but it was, it's a great series. So Yeah, we did an episode on it last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for the Netflix show uh, in, you know, uh, to coincide with the release of the Netflix show. So Yeah, I just looked it up. Sweet Tooth started in September of 2009. So, okay. yeah, right around that same period of scalped and northlanders and greek street and so forth yeah so it's it's sort of bittersweet because i think even even if we're our recollection of the dates isn't exact uh we both remember this as kind of the last fleeting period for vertigo before total dissolution yeah i don't know it's 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 a it's an imprint and a line that put out a lot of good stuff for a lot of years. Even even the stuff that didn't necessarily change the industry, stuff that didn't necessarily uh, get a lot of recognition. Even that stuff was at least interesting. But yeah, totally. They published a lot of interesting material. Just stuff good that comics. wouldn't have gotten an opportunity in any other place. Yeah, yeah. The ceiling for a Vertigo comic was pretty high. But the floor was pretty high too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll do a Vertigo centric episode one of these days. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, it'd be fun to go back to that and it, it's it makes me chuckle because we're kind of at a point in our lives where Vertigo is very much in the rear view, so. You know, if we're trying to appeal to younger kids, I don't know, you know, younger kids getting into <laughs> comics, I don't know that they'll necessarily know what we're talking about. Or Vertigo is not really lit. It's it's not lit. It's not <laughs> crunk. It's not hyphy. Uh, you know, yeah, it's none of those things. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much uh, an artifact of the past. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty representative of our exactly. age. Exactly, exactly. That that was the other thing that made me chuckle was that it's it's pretty much telling of uh, where our comics tastes kind of uh, I don't want to say stagnated, but <laughs> peaked maybe. I don't know. Uh, not even peaked because that implies we're on some kind of downward spiral. But I would say that Vertigo Comics had a pretty big influence in shaping our taste. A lot of the stuff that we've enjoyed over the years has vertigo roots and a lot of the yeah. creators that you really like have done a decent amount of vertigo stuff. So 
It makes That's sense true. that we would turn to Vertigo uh, during those times when superhero comics weren't really grabbing our interest. That's true. And you know what? Thinking about it now, um, with the amount of books that we read from other publishers, the the increase in the amount of books that we read from other publishers now, it it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of those books were books that would have been Vertigo books had Vertigo been around. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. So, Vertigo had a pretty big impact on mainstream comics in America. Exactly. So even even though Vertigo itself is no longer around, I, I do think it still is around in spirit. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let me try to do my best to give you a brief synopsis of Scalped. All right? Let's hear I'm gonna, it. I'm going to try to read from a different a couple of different sources, but um the series focuses on the Og- Ogla, uh, I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, Oglala Lakota inhabitants of the fictional Prairie Rose Indian Reservation in modern-day South Dakota as they grapple with organized crime, rampant poverty, drug addiction, and alcoholism, local politics, and the preservation of their cultural identity. Um, we follow the story of Dashiell Badhorse, who is an undercover FBI agent trying to infiltrate the uh, organization of Chief Lincoln Red Crow, uh, who runs the local casino, and I forget if he's actually the leader of the tribe or not, but uh, yeah, but he, he runs the local casino, and really the, the seamy underbelly that is at the heart of the uh, Prairie Rose Reservation. And it's just a story of uh, Dashio Badhorse, again, trying to infiltrate this organization to, you know, topple Lincoln Redcrow, but it eventually devolves into a bigger story about um, him trying to understand, you know, his cultural roots as well as the complex relationships of the people in his past and uh, a pretty dark murder mystery. How'd that sound? Sounds good to me, man. All right. I think that about sums it up. We'll be talking about various other elements of the plot and themes of the story as we dive into, I guess, spoiler territory later in this episode. But I think that's a solid foundation to give people an idea of what the story is about if they haven't read it yeah yeah so tell me drew uh what do you recall about your first i guess experience with scalped or like the first time you noticed it yeah so scalped came out during a time when i was pretty much checking out everything that vertigo was doing i wasn't really buying too many single issues at that point anymore but i was aware of it just because I still paid attention to what was coming out on a week-to-week basis. So I I waited for the first trade paperback to come out. And as soon as that came out, I I bought that the same day uh, it came out at Isotope. So it was something 
that I would I was looking forward to because I had read Jason Aaron's previous comic, The Other Side, his war comic, and really, really was impressed by that. So definitely made me primed for his next comic, which happened to be Scalped. And I, I did like the first volume of Scalped quite a bit. I remember reading it a couple times, actually, but I didn't actually read the rest of the series until actually yeah i didn't read the entire thing until last year also like i i finished reading it for the in in its entirety uh i think last year in april or march and i think the reason why it took me so long was because after i had bought that first volume even though i read that one a couple times and got pretty familiar with it I think there were just too many other comics coming out around that period, or I was buying too many other comics. So I missed out on volume two when it came out. And then uh, volume three came out, or a couple more volumes came out. And at that point, I was like, oh, dude, I'm falling behind. Uh, Maybe it'll just be easier on my wallet if I just put off buying it and, you know, let it fall by the wayside, as I'm sure any comics fan or reader can empathize with fell to the wayside and it wasn't until a few years later when i found a couple more random volumes of it for super cheap that i ended up picking those up so after that i was like okay i'm just gonna try and collect the rest of it now uh but i'll just try to look for cheap copies of the trade paperbacks and eventually i found all of them and i yeah i'm pretty sure I either completed the set either right before the pandemic started or at some point early on in the pandemic. And that's why I was able to finally read the the entire thing last year. It's not exactly an easy series to find because it's out of print uh, physically. I think you can find it digitally, but the trade paperbacks are out of print. You'll just be lucky to find whatever you can find at your local uh, comic book store and vertigo did do some deluxe hardcover editions but those were pretty low print runs too and you know how usually after they do one of those hardcovers they put out a paperback that collects those deluxe editions apparently these scalped volumes sold so poorly that they didn't even finish the paperback deluxe editions that is rough yeah, it's rough. pretty painful. Yeah. I'd uh I'd say my experience is pretty similar to yours in that I don't know if I was reading quite as much Vertigo stuff at the time, but it it was a period of time where we were getting a lot of good stuff from comics overall. And I remember that I did buy the first volume and I read that and I remember thinking it was good enough where I did want to, I didn't regret buying that first trade paperback, but I think with all the other things that I had to read, I just made a decision that I would wait until all of it was out so that I could just read it all in one sitting. Yeah. And the thing was, even after it was done, like it was so far in the rear view mirror for me that, I just kept putting it off. I just kept telling myself, well, someday I'll get to it because I know it's 
I know it's good, but someday I'll get to it when I have time. And it just kept getting put off. Um, but because we started our top 25 DC comics of all time, and because we were amidst the, the pandemic, uh, I really wanted to do my due diligence and try to read as many of the things that we had put up on our list. Mm-hmm. And I did end up uh, reading all of Scalped. Um, I didn't have, like you, I, I, I had the first volume of the trade paperback and I read that I think like two times or something like that. But I think another decision I made early on was, well, if I find it, if I ever get it in uh, hardcover, I'll, I'll just get it in hardcover. So I think I ended up getting rid of my paperback at some point. Um, so when I did read it for this podcast, I, I, I went to our good old friend Hoopla and read them all digitally. So I did have access to it in that regard. Yeah. I'm pretty happy that I did. Um, my only thing is now I regret not owning it because I know just exactly how good it is. Yeah. Um, I was just talking to Drew about it today, but I remember I went to, I want to say Chicago Comic Con one year and one of the booths that I had seen, uh, one of the regular booths that I had seen, uh, did actually have all five volumes on sale for about $10 each. And at that point, I already had a bunch of stuff, and I didn't want to bring home, like, five additional deluxe hardcovers because it would have just been super cumbersome. So I think I told myself that at the time what I told myself was, well, I'll wait till the last day, and if they're still there, then I'll, I'll you know, if I can get them cheap, then I'll or cheaper, anyways, I'll just get them and then... I'll I'll deal with then and then when I went back like after after like the second day like some of the they weren't there were already, some of the volumes were already sold out so I could have gotten the other ones but at that point it just felt kind of pointless I was like well I guess that's the sign that I don't need to have this right now and yeah I regret it yeah 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 because now the it's... series is terrific. It's it's a great series. Yeah, and it's incredibly difficult to get those hardcovers now unless you're willing to pay, you know, marked up prices on eBay or something. Yeah, I and think... We don't really do that. We don't. If you've ever listened to our podcast or if you know us, then you'll know we are... We're uh, pretty, pretty strategic in how we spend our, yeah. our hard-earned dollars. Yeah, we're always looking for the cheapest possible deal. Yeah, it it gives yeah. us a combined effect of enjoying the book, but also the satisfaction of knowing that we earned our enjoyment by finding <laughs> the cheapest possible price that we could pay for it. Yeah, yeah. My idea of splurging for a hard-to-find book is paying cover price. Yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cover price, like I have to really like a book if I'm gonna pay cover price for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got to be something that's really hard to find and something that I either really like or just really need, uh-huh, and I'll pay uh-huh. cover price for it if it's you know out of print elsewhere and I just happen to find it at a store. But if I have to pay, you know, five bucks extra or, you know. 
10 bucks extra just because a book is out of print or rare screw that i'd rather just live without it i'm okay yeah yeah um yeah i i've had people you know kind of make fun of me or you know jokingly about how how much effort i spend digging through quarter bins or whatever uh you know for comics and i i've really tried my best to explain it it's not i mean it is about the money but there's also a a, uh there's enjoyment from digging through bins exactly there's an entertainment value to it and i've i've tried really my best to explain it to people i've tried to tell them that it's like thrift shopping you know it's it's the excitement of not knowing what you're going to get when you you know dig through this pile and then finding something and the satisfaction of knowing that oh shoot this would have cost this much on any other day but you know because i just happened to check today uh i lucked out because Mm -hmm. i found this top quality book for a cheap price but they just see it as a waste of time and it's pretty befuddling to them why i would waste that much time well see they're making an assumption that we don't have they're making the assumption that we have better things to do with our time which is absolutely not true yeah this is a choice on my on our part exactly right yeah i mean it's Right? <laughs> now you're making me second guess myself. <laughs> well, I mean, you didn't answer me right away, so now I'm concerned that I'm the only one that feels this way. No, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's just it's just the basic idea of of how we prioritize our comics, so that's how we spend our time. And it's yeah. not like we have really active social lives. So what else are we gonna do if we're not gonna spend it on ourselves? I just don't. I'd even say that it's akin to people who enjoy shopping, you know, people who yeah. enjoy going to stores and shopping. Like I it's it's befuddling to me that they don't understand or that they can't seem to understand what it is that we seem to enjoy about it. Mhm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I it's, agree. It's just like I think in their mind it's it's that idea of well, if you want if you just paid a few more dollars, you wouldn't have to spend all this time and energy like looking for it. But the search of it is the entertainment. That's that's the thing that they don't seem to like get. And yeah, I mean, to, definitely to a certain degree. I, I think there are some points, sometimes when uh, you search for something long and hard enough, and it's fruitless, then. It, it's not necessarily fun anymore to keep on looking for something that is basically impossible to find. But at the same time, if I have to pay 10 bucks for a single issue of a comic just to complete my run, that's not, that's even less fun, you know? Yeah. I yeah. would rather just live without something than spend that much money. I would hate myself for that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It would it would have to be something crazy hard to find and something that I would really, really, really want for me to even consider spending ten bucks on a single issue, for example. Or yeah. you know, paying twice as much for an out of print hardcover or something. Exactly. We're not those kinds of collectors who who focus only on the upside of the deal 
which is, you know, well, I bought it for this much, but I can flip it. And that's where I'm going to make my money. And that's where I get my entertainment. Like, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, we're not pirates or anything. So I don't, <laughs> we, if anything, if you've listened to us enough, you, you'd probably know that we disrespect those kinds of collectors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So call it a a, a philosophical difference. I, I don't really have any other word for it, but whatever. Uh, if that's, if there are people out there that enjoy that, then fine, whatever. But if, if, if you know, anyone was to try to uh, project that onto me, then I, I, I truly think they're the one who's, who's missing the point. <laughs> yeah. And this whole digression came about as a result of our wistfulness at missing out on buying the yeah. hardcovers for cheap when we had an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, I'm I'm still hopeful that someday they'll make an omnibus of scalped and I'll just get it that way. Like yes. Yeah. In fact, it's still weird to me that they haven't made an omnibus of scalped, but if we've learned anything time and time again about the big publishers and the people in charge over there, they're stupid. And they hate us. And they hate us stupid haters yeah it really does feel like there should be some kind of omnibus with jason aaron's profile i mean his his name recognition is pretty decent in comics so it's kind of surprising that yeah dc allowed scalp to kind of lapse away and not do anything with it it feels like it should be one of those books that's just perpetually in print here's another digression but i feel like it's worth mentioning as a possibility um but seeing as how he works on the other side of the pond <laughs> at Marvel, there's a you know he he has an exclusive over at Marvel, and seeing as how comics is has a long history of pettiness amongst its its it, the various characters involved in its creation in, in the making of comics, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there's someone somewhere out there at DC who refuses to give attention to Jason Aaron as long as he works at the Big M. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Comics, man. How would you feel if you did get your scalped omnibus, but it had a big, fat, black label logo on its cover? Uh, see, the thing is, I don't think... I don't think I'm quite as peeved about that as you would be because all i care about is having it so yeah yeah as long as i have it i'm i'm not too annoyed at the idea of it being a black label comic instead of a vertigo comic Mm -hmm. it's more about the work itself yeah but that being said it would be uh, on a on a spiritual level it'd be lame yeah 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 but uh yeah what about you how would i feel about that yeah i think you already know how i feel man (laughs) (laughs) i felt like i had to ask it because you know we heard what i had to say but the real vitriol is on your side of the (laughs) the, (laughs) your side of the discussion (laughs) man i guess because i already own the paperbacks 
having that black label logo on the cover, I think that would just disincentivize me from considering Operating. buying the omnibus. Because then I can just tell myself, you know what? I already own it, and my copies have the Vertigo label on it, so I'm cool off that. I have the real scalped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, nice. What were you going to say? I was going to ask if you had any particular thoughts about the creative team involved. Uh, Jason Nern is someone that I have a lot of respect for. He's someone I've I've collected a pretty massive library of works from from him. Uh, I don't you know have, if I have. You have almost all of his Marvel work, I think, don't you? I think so. I I I'm, might be missing like some random uh like short stories uh that he did. I know he did like a there was a web series for American Eagle he did. I don't even know if that was ever collected, so I don't have that. It yeah. might have been collected in something, but I, I certainly don't have it. Um I think I don't I don't have his ghostwriter because they they Oh that's out of print too. Yeah, they there was only a limited number of those hardcovers of that omnibus and once it sold out we just never saw it again, which is kind of annoying, but but I do own it digitally. Uh, for what that's weird. That's worth. That's weird because uh, I mean it's a Marvel book, so why wouldn't Marvel? Oh yeah, yeah. because they hate us. I forgot. Yeah, I yeah they're in that in that case I'm more inclined to believe they did that because they specifically hate me and you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't necessarily have all of his current avengers run or any of the uh squadron supreme or i I don't like i don't know what that current heroes reborn i think is what it was called yeah the event yeah the heroes reborn event so i don't have that stuff the squadron supreme of america are antagonists in his avengers run okay yeah yeah i don't have all of his avengers i'm still collecting that piecemeal in issues but when i do get it uh probably have almost everything that he's done up to this point and I can just go on a massive uh Jason Aaron run. Oh, do you have any of his Conan comics or Star Wars comics? I don't actually. I suppose I should get those. I suppose I should get what's it called? I, I have seen the Star Wars omnibus for decent prices in random places. Like this past uh san diego wait new york comic-con i did see it for decently cheap uh how cheap uh i want to say it was like 60 percent off oh that's pretty good something like that uh like this is just an estimate on my part but i know it was cheaper than 50 percent. so oh okay yeah uh but yeah i don't i think the only things that that's stopping me is i don't really read too many star wars comics so well if it if it's any uh consolation his star wars comics he starts with a new number one so it's you know the beginning of a of a long story okay okay it's like, not I like have faith i have faith that whatever he writes for a star wars comic um is going to be entertaining at the very least um, yeah I will say this about Jason Aaron. Um, his his work 
tends to... I feel like he's got two modes uh, in that... Maybe three in that he he does tend to do sort of these over-the-top grindhouse kind of stories. And, mm-hmm. that are, you know, just kind of popcorn flick fun. Maybe Maybe the comic book equivalent of like a... Uh, Quentin Tarantino or something like that, mm-hmm. and and on the other hand, I do think he also does these pretty substantive, thought-provoking uh, stories as well. So he does have range for sure. Yeah. Um. In terms of dissecting his writing style, uh, what would you say are some of the common themes or pet ideas that you've noticed across all the work of his that you've read that's interesting that you'd say that uh i mean he's he's done quite a bunch of different stuff but i do think and this isn't something that's necessarily evident in everything but uh one of the themes that i've seen on a couple of occasions is religion uh Mm -hmm. he does have a fascination with religion he talks about it uh in several interviews where he talks about how he grew up with religion and even though he might not necessarily still follow in any uh specific kind of religion i think that, he's an atheist i think that's what he he said okay. in interviews yeah i've heard him say that okay. i don't know if anything has changed since i heard those interviews but yeah yeah but the thing I remember was he, even though, even if he is an atheist, he still acknowledges that it's something that was part of his upbringing and something that still fascinates him to some level. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, when I think about, like, one of my favorite comics from him is uh, Ultimate Captain America that he did with Ron Garney. And that's something that, yeah. I don't know, I don't remember if it, says anything like too uh interesting about faith but it's part of it yeah not not interesting but if it's like i don't know if it's something that delves like super seriously into the idea of faith but his version of captain america does uh you know examine that topic yeah and not not in that garth ennis way where it's purely you know Spike making films. it a mockery <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yes yeah. it's interesting to think of him being an atheist in the present and having that kind of a analytical uh examination of of faith and religion like yeah there's a lot of uh stuff about spirituality and religion generally speaking in a variety of his works because even in scalped there's a good amount of spirituality in some of these stories uh i think in his thor run that was a pretty big part of it um uh-huh. heck he had wolverine go to hell in one of his stories <laughs> <laughs> i didn't read it but i do remember the name of that trade paperback it was literally wolverine goes to hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah the the marvel event that he did write was titled original sin so okay okay yeah you're right i, I want i want to say that there was there were like quotes from the bible or something in, in that comic too I, I i can't remember that so i could be wrong 
Then, uh, oh yeah, Ghost Rider. I didn't read all of this. <laughs> I didn't read most of Ghost Rider, but Ghost Rider just naturally has those kind of hellish connotations, right? <laughs> it's about him fighting demons and angels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be religious. <laughs> I think on some level, anytime you write about stuff like that, it is religious in some way. I mean, not religious in the sense that it's got some kind of profound statement, but I think just the fact that it's a story with a fictionalized depiction or understanding of heaven and hell and angels and and spirits and demons and those things, there's always, like, if a writer is, is doing a proper job, he's not just coming up with that stuff completely out of the ether, you know, like, it's based on whatever knowledge or perhaps even research that the writer is willing to to do in order to kind of craft those sorts of ideas. I can see that. I mean, in the worst case scenario, it's someone who just takes the most bare bones understanding of angels and demons and Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess if if they're if, yeah, if, if they're <laughs> that's true, that's true. But even even I would even say that Spawn has has a uh, well the initial Todd McFarlane, <laughs> the initial Todd McFarlane Spawn issues those stories they they do have they do present Todd McFarlane's spiritual worldview I would say really? I think that's I think that's inherent in the comic cause, oh man I feel like this is a future okay. are you are you ready for a, a I feel like this here? is a future podcast episode I need to know what your take on T Max idea of heaven and hell are okay <laughs> what does okay. eternity eternity look like to t-mac you 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 want me to get into this now or save it for <laughs> our future episode because we're going on a pretty far tangent now <laughs> <laughs> do you think you could explain it in a couple of minutes or would you rather take would you rather uh i don't need, we do I don't a, need a long time but ex- explanation on an episode okay, okay. I, I can do it fairly quickly so if, if anyone's already getting tired of us uh, talking about all this other stuff and just, they're just waiting if you're waiting for us to get the scalp just fast forward a couple minutes yeah but the whole idea of spawn right is about the main character who gets killed after being betrayed by his friend and he he al simmons loves his wife so much that he's willing to make a deal with the devil while he's in hell so that he can see his wife again so it doesn't really matter to him that, you know, it's a devil that he's making a deal with. Obviously, logically speaking, he should understand and know that there's going to be a catch and it's not going to work out for him the way that he thinks it is. And it's obviously a bad thing to make a deal with the devil, but he loves his wife so much that he'd be willing to do that. And that's that forms the premise of, of Spawn, at least those initial issues because i spawn's been around for so long i don't even know what the heck's going on now (laughs) but if you think about how the original character began in his origins you know that that's what it is and from what i remember uh in interviews what t-mac was saying was that that's exactly what he would have done if if that happened to him you know like he he He's not someone who has any fear of powers that are higher or greater than him. So I, I think in T-Max mind, making a deal with the devil, it's 
it's not really something that's going to completely destroy him. It's more of an inconvenience, you know? <laughs> and I think that's that's how Spawn kind of functions where, uh, he, you know, he makes this deal with the devil and he never really pays the full price for it. He just kind of has to suffer uh, an in, the inconvenience of looking like a freak, but on the upside, he gets all this power and stuff, you know? But he, I guess he can still be tortured because he can't be with his wife. He can only look at her from a distance uh, now that he's, you know, walking on Earth and stuff again. And I, I feel like with, with T-Mac, if I'm reading into it and I'm playing armchair psychology, kind of figuring out his his mental state, I, I really think that T-Mac put a lot of himself into Spawn. Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I would make one correction, though. I yeah. I think when T-Mac says that he would do what Spawn did if he were in that position, uh, what he meant to say was if he was sent to hell and his opportunity to come back and save the person that he loved most was by making a deal with the devil, in his case, the person that he loves most would probably be himself. <laughs> yeah you're you're probably right about that man you probably did you like right. that did you like my setup for that <laughs> isn't his twitter profile avatar a picture of himself kissing spawn on the lips it wouldn't surprise me if that's what he decided to put up there uh there was yeah. also that interview that he gave uh I don't know, a year or two ago in this big profile piece, I can't remember which outlet did it, but he did say in all seriousness, or at least the way I read it, it indicated he was being serious without a sense of irony. He said, you know, Todd rhymes with God. <laughs> and I think he was making a point that he was, you know, he had a pretty high overinflated opinion of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, I guess the, the place that it loses me is, you know, he, he makes it sound like it's some sort of serendipitous thing that his name is Todd. Yeah. But really, his parents named him. So there's, <laughs> there's really no big mystery or like universal schenectady that's taking place here. It's just your parents like, uh, like. If if they had named you Brad, would you say Brad rhymes and crap? I I don't know. <laughs> Is that really where your brain would go? No, he would have said Brad rhymes with Chad. And, okay, okay. So Todd, so Brad would be the ultimate Chad. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, this is a heck of a tangent. <laughs> yeah. Will we ever go a single episode without making fun of Spawn? Uh, well, I don't want to live in a world where we can't berate Spawn and okay. T-Mac. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe, maybe somewhere out there, there's someone who's a total Todd McFarlane Spawn stan who's going to catch a hold of this episode and they're yeah. going to send us another piece of hate mail. So... <laughs> Great. At least then we know they're paying attention. Exactly. Exactly. We're almost an hour into this, and we still haven't really dug into the nuts and bolts of Scout. <laughs> Should, Should we get, get back to it? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's do. Anything else you want to say about Jason Aaron or Scout before we get into uh, our discussion? 
well, uh, I feel like we should talk about RM Guerra real quick, just just because it's only fair. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't really know what he's worked on other than this. I mean, I know he's worked on a couple of other things, but uh, you know, his his body of work isn't quite as large as Jason Aaron's. So, um, well, the thing is, is that I think his body of work, a lot of it is in European comics, because I I did look uh, at his biography and. He, He's a Serbian artist, okay. but he he also lives in Spain. Okay, okay. And he's he's done stuff on things I've I've never heard of, so I don't even think that they're available in in English. You know, like you've got to yeah. be a real serious hunter of comics to get these foreign comics that we don't normally yeah. have access to. You know. And you guys also know our opinion of European comics. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> you had to go there, man. I didn't I didn't want it to be the uh uh the 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 what alligator in the room or the whatever in the room. <laughs> no, I, I keep, whatever that euphemism is. <laughs> I, I, I keep reading European comics and picking them up and in the hope. Yeah, like I mean there's definitely some that have really appeal to me and then yeah. a lot of other ones w- that i've read where i was impressed by the art and the craftsmanship of it all but yeah. for whatever reason the the stories just didn't really connect with my heart yeah yeah um so it, it's it's not like i don't want to make it sound like i'm just dismissing an entire you know continent's worth of <laughs> comics <laughs> uh yeah i i will say though his artwork is terrific it's fantastic it's just very well drawn it's it's so good to look at so you know uh you know what what are personal biases against european comics whatever they may be like i it's undeniable that his artwork is beautiful and the fact that uh we read scalped you know something that he worked on with jason aaron and that we have such reverence for it 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 shows that you know it's not a real bias in the sense that you know we're completely diametrically opposed to it or anything like that yeah yeah i'm definitely not opposed to european comics yeah i, I still try to read I them i want them to be good <laughs> yeah I, it it very well could just be the fact that the stuff that we ended up picking up weren't the things that you know really grabbed us yeah well i, I i'd even say that I'll admit that it's it's just a matter of tastes, and there there just might be uh, certain uh, uh, ticks in European comics, and and yeah, and stylistic flourishes that don't necessarily click with me. And you know, I'll I have a I'll, feeling it it could be the the density of them, because from what I can tell of your tastes, I feel like you typically aren't too a big fan of dense comics well but even something like and we talked about this during the episode but uh something like mobius that wasn't particularly dense but like you it wasn't for me it wasn't something that i could enjoy beyond the visual aspects of it yeah i guess so with the inkle yeah, the Incal. Incal? Incal. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Incal or Incal. Uh, whatever. I think people know what we're talking about. 
Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, compared to an American comic, the language of an, a European comic, I I still think it's dense, like something like the Inkle, even though it may be in terms of the amount of words per page, it's not over the top or anything, but yeah. the amount of panels per page and just the amount of information inside a panel, you know, like the way that it's drawn, I think conveys a lot of information too. So um, there's a visual density to it. So it's not always just a matter of having too many words, but it's the density of storytelling overall. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that that was the thing that really. Uh, well, okay. Again, I don't want to get too 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 much into it. I I don't think that was the thing about the ink call that stopped me from enjoying it. But yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't remember exactly what we said in that episode, but. Looking back on it now, I'd, all I could really say is that the story didn't really resonate with me on a level where I felt super compelled to keep on reading after yeah. that first volume. Yeah, I, I, and I think that sums it up mostly. And I don't know if that's something that I can universally apply to all European comics. I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. But Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, I still got a bunch of European comics in my humble bundle, so it's, it's yeah, it's stuff I'm gonna read at some point. Yeah. We yeah, go. we just have to live long enough. Yeah. Yeah, and then maybe we can get to a thousand episodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did you have anything to say about RM Guerra? Uh, maybe. I'm not quite as warm on his art as you are. Like he's oh. an artist that I thought did a fine job in Scalped, but there were definitely pages here and there that I thought were kind of hard to decipher. Uh, maybe it's because he was going for this really dark and gritty tone, which which fits. Like it, uh, from an emotional standpoint, his art definitely fits the story really well. Uh, from a clarity standpoint, I I think there were definitely some points here and there where I, it wasn't like the easiest for me to discern exactly what was going on through the visual storytelling. And I, I think in terms of his his aesthetics, just the way that he draws stuff, uh, you know, it's it's fine. Like I don't I don't dislike it or anything. I don't I wouldn't say I I super love it either. Like if if you told me that RM Guerra was doing a new project and that was all he told me, that that might not be enough to get me to pick up the comic, you know? Like, that probably wouldn't sell me on it. I'd probably need to know at least what it was about or if somebody's writing it, you know? Like, his name alone wouldn't be enough to get me to pick up a comic is, is what I'm saying, which, you know, it, it's no disrespect to him. I, I do think he's a very good artist but in terms of like an artist that i fell in love with no I, I can't say that i necessarily fell in love with his art or anything it was you know it's a it's definitely a part of the identity of scalp so i can't imagine it without him but just as far as how much i love his art it's not quite unconditional love it's just love based on what he accomplished in this comic 
okay. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I hear you. I acknowledge that. So that's what I'm here for, man. I'm here to be acknowledged by somebody, even if it's just <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I did. I didn't know that those. That was your uh, your your take on on RM Guerra. But uh, you know, hey, it's good to hear. Good to hear the the honest truth. All right. You want to get into it? Let's do it. So I guess we'll follow the same general uh, discussion uh, structure that we use for all of the other books in our top twenty five DC comics of all time, uh, or in our when measuring. Uh, you know what makes book worthy of being on the top twenty-five uh, list. So I think that's probably the most reasonable way to approach it. And those are the different elements of the book that we're going to discuss here. So I guess that's a pretty good transition for us to have uh, talking about Aram Guerra and his art. But we can go into the craft of it and whatever the various elements of the book are that make up that craft and just kind of discuss, you know, uh, our thoughts and feelings on it. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you have to say on, on the craft of it, Drew? Like, I, I guess we can break it up into two parts and try to discuss the writing as well as, you know, the art, or do you just want to go at it? Uh, I like going at it because, Comics is a visual medium, so I I don't really like to separate the writing from the artwork. Like sometimes I'll read reviews of stuff, and then these reviews will have ratings for different categories, and they'll give a rating for the writing and a rating for the art, and like that's the kind of thing that I'm not particularly fond of. Like I'd rather just talk about the story as a whole and the comic as a whole. Okay. Uh, I mean obviously they're there are two elements at work because, you know, two different people are responsible for the writing and the drawing. But at the same time, it I feel like it, it kind of does a disservice to Scalped in particular because this is a book that, uh, even though I think it would be fair to say Jason Aaron uh, was responsible for the genesis of the idea, R.M. Guerra is listed as a co-creator of the comic. So, you know, I want to give him uh, the due responsibility and respect for his contribution as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think what stands out to me first and foremost is the mood of the comic. Like it's it's just so moody. It's from the very first page. When you open the comic it's just drenched in mood like it everything from just the the line work and the colors and the dialogue it's so it's so uh hardcore you know like this is a book that is absolutely not for kids it's it's a book that is very serious very uh adult and the way that the art and the writing work together to convey that special kind of mood it's yeah it, it's pretty distinct you know like it's there's we've read a lot of crime comics and i think even among crime comics like when you 
compare something like this to your uh, Brian Izzarello's or Ed Brubaker's or Greg Grucka's or David Lapham's or, you know, whoever, whoever the case may be. This is a pretty unique book just in terms of the tone that it, it's, it, it has a, it establishes a tone and commits to it for 60 issues. And the tone I would say is something that is extremely world weary and tired of life, grimy, hateful and full of revenge, drugs and sex and violence. Like maybe you can say that those are elements that are pretty much common to any crime comic or crime story in the genre. But there's just something very, I guess, oppressive and grimy because of the way that it looks on the page in Scalp. Like, here, here's a, a quick example. Or if you look at issue two of the series and just look at the first couple pages here, um, really the, the second page of issue two, there's a, a panel of... Uh, this dude, and just the way that he's drawn, he he just looks like a character, man. Like this dude with a mullet and a nose ring and tattoos, kind of hairy chest and stuff. And he's getting roughed up by the authorities while he's yelling all sorts of racist crap. Like that is the mood of the comic, man. <laughs> like I'm not gonna read it out loud. It's it's pretty vulgar, but yeah, like that, the second page of issue two, like that, that pretty much sums up the tone of the comic as a whole. And even, even though there's like a lot of stuff that happens across these 60 issues and I don't know, a thousand some odd pages or whatever, that second page of issue two, I think establishes the overall feeling that you'll have as you read this comic, because it doesn't, they don't shy away from showing you the grimy underbelly of this society yeah i'm looking at the same pages that you are and you know yeah I, I hear you about you know what you were saying about rm guerra's art but i do love the way this stuff looks it's everything just looks like it's covered in grit and you know if, you almost get that feeling of uh let me put it this way uh, as someone who lives in san francisco who has seen more than his fair share of just like you know gross and grimy this mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. like i do think rm guerra captures it pretty pretty accurately you know just by looking at these people you really get the sense that there's a there's just this extra sheen of grossness that they're just covered in and it's something that where although the 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 people that are really gross are 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 kind of uh covered in it i i'd even say that even someone like uh Dashiell Badhorse and the authorities as we're seeing them they're not entirely clean or idealized looking either you know yeah so definitely it's not really, it's a really good uh mood to add to the book uh, there are very few, if any, attractive-looking people in this comic. Uh, I think Carol. Carol's kind of attractive. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah, she's got a body. You know, it, 
like I do think that yeah, like I think when when you point to something where you go where you want an example of RM Guerra showing whether he's capable of drawing, you know, people in an attractive way. Like I think her the way that he draws her I I think that's him channeling his Eduardo Riso. There's there's a curvaceousness to her that's sort of alluring. Um, Yeah, I guess certainly in the first half of the story, she she does kind of fit that femme fatale sort of figure. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not like he's incapable of drawing attractive people or anything like that. And I mean, personally, I I prefer the way she looks by the end of the story, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, I yeah. Anyways, I I think she can. I think both things can be. I, I think both things can be uh, indicative of his ability to draw attractive people. Uh, you know. Uh, I don't doubt he can draw attractive people. Yeah. I think. I think he chooses to draw a lot of unattractive people in this comic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting how he draws. Like the thing that I notice is how he draws skin uh, on people. Uh, he he tends to really place a lot of emphasis on wrinkles. Uh, yeah. You know, and and I do think that's interesting. I I think. I can see how some people might find it grotesque or maybe something like the uncanny valley where they've just got way too much skin folds or whatever. But I, I think it's actually pretty fascinating to look at. Um, it's kind of cartoony also, but yeah, I don't know what it is about it that I, I do think that's pretty interesting. Um I'm in the same issue that you were talking about. There's this action scene that happens where uh, Dasho Bad Horse is chasing down uh, one of the drug runners. I do think that's a pretty fun uh, example of uh, uh, Arm Guerra's ability to capture action sequences, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just the way that this uh, dude with the uh, mullet looks. He, you know, I think logically we know that he's a person, but they're even looking at his face. There's understanding that there's something almost kind of cartoony about the dude. <laughs> his eyes are all big and bug-eyed, and <laughs> you know he's got the big teeth. It's, it, yeah, I think it's a style that I I can get into. Yeah, I I do think his style fits the book pretty well. It's very evocative. Yeah, in terms of craft. Uh, how would you describe? Well, do you have anything to 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 say about Jason Aaron's writing? Uh, I'm trying to think of a more creative way to say he's a good writer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will say this: like when you look at the entirety of Scalped, um, even though on the surface it does seem very simple. I do think it's a pretty intricate and densely layered story. There's over the course of 60 issues, he does do a lot of layering and he sets a lot of groundwork 
uh, for all of the characters within the stories. Well, not all. I mean, there are some that are le- that certainly get less attention than others, but there are times where he even gives attention to characters that we don't necessarily assume are going to have a big role. And, you know, when he gives them a chance to shine, it's it, it all it all unfolds together as part of the larger tapestry of everything that he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think it just shows it's, it's hard. It's hard for a writer to be able to uh, plan out those kind of layers uh, well in advance. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I, I do think that's the sign of a good writer is the ability to um you know take all these various elements and effectively use them in telling whatever story they're going to tell like as in I, I i think there are a lot of examples of us where we get a pretty straightforward story but uh from other writers but nowhere near as I guess layered or or textured as as what Jason Aaron is doing here, you know? Yeah, I think one of the things I appreciate about Scalp is how it starts off with this pretty straightforward concept of the federal agent, you know, undercover agent at the reservation. Yeah. It's a solid enough premise, but it's not like we've never seen it before, you know? It's Yeah. It's a premise that really hinges more upon its execution as opposed to trying to like grab us with its creativity. Yeah. But I, I think what makes it really effective in Scalped is that that hook is there in the beginning, but then the story evolves after a certain point and it becomes yeah. this intricate uh, character study of all the, all the various major characters, but it, it also becomes an examination of what life is like on the reservation. It's about what life is like on Prairie Rose Indian Reservation, um, which basically functions, you know how people sometimes say places can be characters? It really feels like this, in this story, uh, Prairie Rose is a character because there's so uh, so much life that takes place in it and we're privy to uh, the lives of characters who are in various uh, levels of social strata within this society. Yeah. yeah. We read an interview earlier today where uh, Jason Aaron basically says that, where he talks about how the story of an undercover FBI agent who infiltrates a criminal organization isn't a new uh, concept in and of itself. But mm-hmm. the the fact that it takes place on an Indian reservation is kind of the hook that makes it unique. And because it takes place on an re- Indian reservation, um, it really is a situation where the setting has to be pushed to the forefront of the story in order to act as a character uh, for, for the readers. 
and and that absolutely makes sense because it really does feel like the world that they inhabit is a pretty flushed out place and it, it really does feel like you know how you've said in the past where there are stories or or most perfect stories for characters that you can think of are this kind of stories that can only happen to those characters mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. it feels that in this case the kind of story that scalped is is the only kind of story that you can tell on prairie rose reservation you know yeah he definitely created a world that feels extremely oppressive and corrupt it's but then that that also takes me to another thought uh maybe maybe it's something that we'll revisit and later on in in this conversation but there is the idea that is maybe not unjustified but that this is it's there there's a i guess a level of discomfort perhaps uh from depending on how you look at it knowing that a white man is writing about reservation life and pretty much uh i guess most of what he's writing about is pretty harsh you know like it 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 kind of feels like if you went to an actual reservation life wouldn't really be like this you know like it, it feels like it's just the the darkest seediest underbelly that you could imagine uh, and that's really the only thing that, well, maybe not only, but it, it's such a big pervasive part of Scalped that it kind of feels like there really isn't um, anything that feels more normal, you know? And and I guess, I guess in a way, uh, the, the danger of that is that people who don't really, uh, you know, take the time to consider that this is just a fictional story there might be some people who actually come away with the impression, yeah, I knew that's how all reservations were, <laughs> or, you know, whatever yeah. kind of lazy uh, sort of ignorance uh, people live with, you know, it, there, there's that danger as well. So yeah, I, I think that is something to consider. Yeah, I, I totally think that's a valid uh, thing to bring up. Um yeah, I I think that's something that I believe we should dedicate an entire section to uh, just kind of the, the cultural context of this, which is, you know, not something we normally uh, include when we discuss uh, the various elements of the book, of the books that we put on our top 25 list. But with a book like this, it feels like it's yeah, kind of hard to ignore exactly, because, number one, exactly. how many books are there or how many comics are there that have native american casts yeah usually when we see native american characters in our comics they're pretty stereotypical portrayals of them you know yeah yeah like especially in superhero comics and as far as non-superhero comics it it gets pretty hard to think of other examples of native american representation yeah exactly so uh, yeah, that being said, I do think maybe towards the end of this, we'll dedicate some time to discuss that in further detail. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to spend some time on it because 
I do think it's interesting, worthwhile conversation. It's just, uh, yeah. For now, though, like I, I, in terms of the craft, um, yeah, yeah, he, I, I, I do believe that Jason Aaron did do research. He's said in various interviews uh, that, you know, he put work into it. Like it wasn't something that he just crafted yeah. or concocted out of his own imagination yeah. or what he learned from watching cartoons or something. Or westerns. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Exactly. Right. He, we, uh, we read this interview with Wired today where they talked about how they basically well, the, asked. The interview him, wasn't from today. Well, I, the interview wasn't from today, but we read it today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I meant. So, um, but yeah, the the interview was asking him what his creative process was, and he did express that he had, it was a subject that he had long had interest in. He wasn't necessarily uh, from the region where the story takes place, but you know, he had done his research and he had also spoken to people uh, with a background and knowledge of, uh, you know, the cultural practices of various peoples within the uh, community so that he could apply what he learned to what he wrote. Now, uh, granted, He's he's writing a story about. It's a dark crime comic. Yeah, it's so a dark that kind of like primes you to expect a certain kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So he's telling uh, a story that doesn't necessarily put that community in the best light, and and it's like you said, uh, the laziest interpretation of that or takeaways that people can have are. Like the danger of that is that someone can look at that and presume that that's, you know, indicative of real life. Yeah. Which it really isn't the case. And um, in that same interview, Jason Aaron even says that, uh, what does he say? He says that he just wants to tell a good story. Like he, he knows, he, he understands that that's something that some people might take away from that. And, uh, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, but I'm, I'm trying to find the best way to say this, but he doesn't want that to necessarily be the thing that affects how he writes his story, um, which I do think is fair. Like, I know some people might look at that and think that that's not necessarily the best uh, way to approach it because, yeah, you know, you want to be able to educate as well as tell a story but i don't know it's it's complicated right there there's so if you can do that then you can do that and great and you're able to uh leave people better educated after after having read your story but I also understand where he's coming from, which is he just wanted to tell a good crime story uh, that took place within this setting. And yeah, and he did the best he could. And I, I think he did an exceptional job with it. Uh, so. Here's here's the 
Well, I don't know if this is the quote you were thinking of, but uh, here's a quote from that Wired interview that I think uh, gives him a chance to speak for himself here. But uh, Wired asked him, what feedback do you typically hear from Native Americans? And this is Aaron's response. I try not to let that influence my stories. That's a dangerous rabbit hole to start going down, changing what you do in response to what you read on the internet. But the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Not everybody is a fan of the book. It's not going to be to everybody's taste. It's a crime series where characters are morally ambiguous. I've never shied away from some things that are stereotypical, like having Indians who drink too much. The book has one of those. Certainly, there are characters that are extremely violent, but I don't think you can look at Scalped and say it's a book that portrays Native Americans as savages. So it's, that's Jason Aaron on yeah. that topic. I guess we can talk about it here because it, it is part of the craft and we are addressing it. So, yeah, I, I don't have a problem going right here right now. Uh, but I do remember when I was reading it at the time. I there's there's this one section of the book where the Indians on the reservation are are dealing with a rival gang, and the rival gang are made up of uh, Hmong people. But it's a Hmong gang, right? And Hmong are a Southeast Asian people group. And I remember talking to a friend of mine about that. And I think in a vacuum, she found it pretty offensive. Yeah. Because she basically said, who is this white guy and why is he, you know, talking, telling a story about these corrupt, uh, you know, Indians and Hmong people being violent and, uh, you know, just cruel to one another. Who, like, who is this guy to tell that story, right? Was your friend Hmong? Yeah, she is. Yeah. And... I don't know. I it's it's always a tough place for me to to be to tell someone you know this I I don't think you're understanding it right, right? <laughs> because what's more condescending than that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So I like I it's hard for me to say because I'm not I'm clearly not Native American and I'm I'm not Hmong either, so it, it's it's not really something where I can look at that and be. I don't feel comfortable saying to someone who's of those backgrounds and saying, "Hey, you you should you're being too sensitive about this. You shouldn't take <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't get be so uptight about it." Like that's certainly not the way that I want to approach that. Um, I I but I also don't think that the the opposite is. Uh, the way to approach it either by saying that well jason aaron shouldn't be writing that at all like i think realistically speaking if the the art of writing is your ability to capture voices and the human experience in the most realistic way possible uh even if you're not from those backgrounds right and yeah i wouldn't want people to be limited to only things that they know how to write and or things that are specific to their own personal experience or exactly, background. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, that being said, I do understand that there are people who write things and take that artistic liberty, and they're t 
terrible at it. <laughs> they yeah. Were things that are offensive. Um, like Claremont. But, yeah, but that's just kind of taking the good with the bad. It's that's that's what artistic expression is about, and you know that's the trade off of it. And um, uh, what I would say to people is, uh, you know, in every community there are criminal elements there are bad people I'm, i never pretend that one particular people group is devoid of crummy people uh, mm -hmm. that's just not a realistic way of looking at life mm -hmm. so, humanity is full of crummy people exactly exactly so for them to be able to tell a story about uh people being crappy there's that's that's fine by me right and i don't take it as something i don't take it as uh the 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 measure that i hold uh those people groups by 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 any means and to the people that aren't necessarily happy about this depiction um i guess all i can do is kind of recommend that they give it a try and actually read it and hopefully they can find the artistic merit in it but you know if they don't you know there's nothing that i can really say to that like i'm not gonna again i'm not gonna tell people that they shouldn't be offended by it <laughs> <laughs> you know if they are yeah um, yeah that, that's just that's just the way it is but i i do think that this wasn't a story like Jason Aaron said in that interview, I, I don't think this is a story that necessarily painted them all, painted all Native peoples as just stereotypical. Savages. As, as savages or just as stereotypical caricatures. Uh, they're, they're complex, you know? They're complex and they're multifaceted and uh, they've got layers. And that's, that's a testament to his ability to write characters. So... I, I hope that people read it and I hope that people see it. And like, I would take this over a hundred Chris Claremont's, uh, you know, Thunderbirds <laughs> or Forges or Danny Moonstars. <laughs> you mean uh, Warpath, right? He didn't create Thunderbird. He only oh, killed okay. him. <laughs> Warpath. Warpath. Sorry. <laughs> I think his first issue of Uncanny X-Men, he, he killed the, the Native American character. <laughs> Hey, he sacrificed himself, okay? <laughs> Claremont had him sacrifice himself. <laughs> Claremont basically killed him. Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, you know, to tie that all into craft, I, I do think that just shows, like, his ability to, to write these characters, even not being from that background, and uh, to do it in a respectful way, and uh in a compelling way and in addition to that uh yeah like he's yeah what i was gonna say was um you know we 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 mentioned it but it it wasn't stuff that he just pulled out of his butt right it wasn't just stuff where he was like oh i saw this in a uh in a sunday morning cereal once and that's that everything that i've ever known about native people's is based on you know the Lone Ranger or whatever. <laughs> like 
he legitimately read the books, talked to people, and did the research about it. So, and and again, like don't don't take this perspective of what this you know fictional Indian reservation is to be a representation of what real in, Indian reservation is. It, real end of real Indian reservations are. But although I will say that, you know, my understanding of, of their situation, there there are a lot of problems that do exist there as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But hey, it's it's complicated. And I don't want to live in a world where we can't write fictional stories where we limit ourselves to writing Again, only what we know or or per, from perspectives that we're only capable of writing from. Yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. I think one of the things that makes the story more palatable to me is the fact that because it's a crime story, I automatically just assume that everyone's going to be awful, you know? Yeah. So it, it's not necessarily like... I mean, honestly, the first time I read it, way back when it first came out, when I first got that first volume, it didn't really cross my mind that, oh, this is a a, a white guy writing about Native Americans and their culture, basically, you know? Like, I, I just found myself enraptured in in the work itself. And it wasn't until pretty recently that it's, I started to think about stuff like that um you evolved <laughs> like a pokemon <laughs> like a person oh, okay <laughs> you grew you learned some stuff and you grew <laughs> yeah I th- but i i think what makes the story work for me is that because everybody's awful to each other it, it's it's just another it's it's like window dressing for another really grim and gritty crime comic, you know? Like I I do like crime as a genre and I think Scalped does a good job of doing you know, the sort of crime story that we've grown familiar with over the decades of reading but adds this element of character study to it where you you also have uh you know there's a lot of stuff that happens to the principal cast whether it's dash or red crow or carol or the the sheriff uh what's his name falls down oh yeah yeah like there's a lot of uh, stuff that happens to them over the course of the series where you, you really watch them grow and change as characters but there's also uh, Jason Aaron also does these these stories that are just one-off stories uh, featuring characters that aren't necessarily major characters. Heck, they're not even really characters that appear outside of that issue. Like I think about issue 35 of the series, and that's one that isn't drawn by R.M. Guerra. Issue 35 has art by. Uh, Daniel Zazelge, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but that one was a story about this older couple that lived in the outskirts of the reservation. So 
they would always see these uh, jets fly overhead because there was a, I guess, an Air Force base nearby. And it it's basically a story of their lives where you learn about these two, this couple, and how they love each other and take care of each other and, and all the things that they've, various travails and things that they've endured to uh, get to the point in life where they're at now. And then, like, at the end of the story, <laughs> one of those jets uh actually crashes into their house fortunately they're not at home uh so they they're okay but it ends up being this pretty substantial one issue character study of these of this couple and they they don't really have any real bearing on the overall plot of the series but it's this slice of life kind of story that i think highlights the variety of the different lives and people that populate prairie rose and it it does bring additional uh insight into the the larger themes of the book and just you know it it just stands on its own as like a good piece of storytelling and yeah yeah those are the kind of things i i do appreciate i think you know certainly there are other comic book writers who do similar things with, or who have done similar things in the midst of their long-running series. Like I, th you know, it probably harkens back to, um, like Neil Gaiman and Sandman. You know, probably the one of the progenitors of Vertigo, where he would do these longer stories, and then in between these bigger stories, he would do these short stories that are like one issue long, and have a guest artist on those. I've definitely seen other Vertigo series do similar stuff. And when Jason Aaron does it in Scalped, it works out too. Some people might call those filler issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a rant for another episode, man. <laughs> We're going on way too many rants that's today. I, I definitely have thoughts on that, but... I think I'd probably just be repeating the thoughts I've shared in like a bunch of other episodes. <laughs> yeah, we can stay on topic. We can, you know, it's it's certainly not a can of worms we need to open up. Did you have anything else that you wanted to mention about the craft of it? Or did you want to discuss like the originality or move on to originality? We can talk about originality. Yeah. All right. So we, we did discuss a little bit about this earlier where we mentioned that you know the the core concept of a you know a crime story where you have an undercover agent who infiltrates a crime organization in and of itself isn't original and you know if i had to be honest the originality probably wasn't something that i gave this particular series super high marks for but I do think there's things in there, ways that uh, the story is told and explored that that are definitely worth highlighting and uh, that that we can give you know praise and attention to uh, you know because this it it might just be a really good version of a crime story but. Yeah, you know what? Nothing wrong with that. So, 
I don't know. Yeah, it, it's the execution, I think. Yeah, right? The execution Absolutely. is what what elevates it. Um, I, I do think that it's creative in its presentation. Uh, maybe the, maybe the plot isn't the most original, and maybe I I guess someone could even say that doing a grim and gritty crime comic in that kind of style isn't necessarily original in principle, but yeah, I just think that the execution is done well, so. It's certainly not something that uh, is devoid of any kind of originality. Exactly. I mean, as as sad as it sounds, it is original just to have it set on a reservation, you know? Yeah. yeah. How many other crime comics have we seen that take place on a reservation or have a cast of Native American characters? It, yeah. It's just not, not very common and... You know, maybe it's kind of a cheap way to give it points for originality there, but you know, I, I on some level, I I do appreciate uh, this a variety. Yeah, this dive into a a new setting as a reader. It's not something that uh, I'm very familiar with at all. So it it yeah. does transport me to, you know, it takes my imagination on a journey. Yeah, like when you put it that way, it really does make me think. Like it, it's such a simple twist on it. Yeah, it's such a simple twist on you know what's traditionally a more recognizable story that it almost makes you go, "Why didn't anyone think of that before?" Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. But because of that, it it does make you just realize that oh, this is another. Well, I don't know if it makes everybody realize this, but it certainly makes me think that, you know, wh- why, where have these stories been this whole time, right? Like, where, like, we, why is this not something, or, or why is this, yeah, not something that we've explored more? Uh, there's all kinds of stories that you can certainly tell. Yeah, maybe, maybe there are novels that I'm just not aware of, but as far as comics go, I feel like we know our comics pretty well and i can't think of another comic yeah like this yeah i I mean it's like you said every time we see uh native american in in other comics it's usually uh you know it's usually kind of in a stereotypical way they kind of portray them as some sort of mystic or uh you know yeah like a savage or or whatever right like they're they're really only a couple a handful of lanes that they tend to occupy and even though scalped isn't something that portrays them in the best light it's it certainly isn't one that pigeonholes them into you know only being the things that we think of them of um yeah in that interview that you mentioned like jason aaron mentions well you know, there's the stereotype of the drunk Indian, and we certainly have one of those. There's also a, a few others. There's the idea of like, like the spiritual medicine man or medicine woman or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's certainly in there too. Um, 
and, and that puts me in the in the uncomfortable place of wondering like how real or not real is this stuff like how much a part of their culture is it or is it not right yeah and and maybe that's the one maybe that's something that that's good that comes out of this which is it might make me go that extra step to research further to see whether like is this a real thing or is this just something that you know western culture has Mm -hmm. you know fetishized because hey isn't that kind of cool yeah 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 um sitting here in 2022 i do think we well okay maybe we don't have a whole lot more uh media that presents or that depicts uh reservation life or native american people but uh it did make me think of one show that just came out super recently uh i think they're about to have their season two on fx it's called reservation dogs and i think like taika waititi is a producer on that and if you know taika waititi's work he's a dude who does heartfelt stories but has uh you know has a humorous bent to them and it just so happens that in this particular series the main focus is this group of uh native american kids who live i don't think they live on a reservation or anything but they just live in this community and you know there's theirs isn't a great life and it's just about them wanting to get out of there and it even plays with the idea of this kid talking to his ancestors but it treats it as kind of a light-hearted gag more than you know the the severity that we usually apply to these sorts of characters i don't know if anyone would find that offensive i i I should hope not but Mm -hmm. again i i can't speak for for um anyone from that community but it i i i say all that just to mention that you know we we do have these depictions of people of uh of native peoples now um you know a decade or more after this comic came out and you know it, it doesn't limit them to just being uh this or that yeah yeah it's a it's a more modern contemporary take on on these characters Mm -hmm. with a little more cultural sensitivity yeah yeah exactly exactly like i'm not gonna say that that's because of scalped or anything like i don't i don't know if taika ytt like red scalped or whatever but you know i i think overall being able to tell those stories uh with these characters it, it benefits the the craft of comics and and the overall general conversation more than it hurts it mm-hmm. i'd mm-hmm. like to think anyways yeah yeah are there any particular themes or ideas in sculpt that stand out to you like if if sculpt has a message does it resonate with you or is there anything meaningful that it has to say that you'd want to highlight yeah i think the one thing that makes it stand out from uh 
a lot of no not a lot of but the thing the one thing that makes it stand out for me as a reader is the idea of just the baggage of history because so much of the comic does revolve around uh these characters and their past um you see Dashiell Badhorse coming into this reservation and he's just a character with this huge chip on his shoulder he he, he grew up in a rough situation and and he you know he he looks like a delinquent but then we find out that he joined the FBI and in his attempt to I guess legitimize himself in their eyes he takes this mission to go back to the reservation and by going back to the reservation he reimmerses himself in his culture and in not not even necessarily in in dealing with his uh, uh, cultural issues, but in reimmersing himself in his like direct community, he has all the baggage of the community that he has to deal with. His parents, um, you know, his former lover, uh, Lincoln Redcrow, like just it's just a place that just looks like it it just chews people up and spits them out and. Here he is coming back into this community to infiltrate them and uh you know make his make his name as a good you know FBI agent by taking down uh Lincoln Redcrow who is just a pillar of this community. Mm-hmm. But in addition to his baggage, everybody is just burdened with history here. Uh, and we see that theme happening over and over again uh, with a bunch of different characters. Lincoln Redcrow, uh, he has this history with uh, Gina Badhorse, which is Dashiell's, uh, Dashiell's mom. Mm-hmm. It's just something that we see, like, we see that they might have had complicated feelings towards one another, but because of their history as young, wide-eyed, optimistic activists within the uh, Native American community, what, what ends up happening is they, because of their activism, they, they splinter because they decide to take different methodologies in trying to uh achieve their goals and as a result uh there's one crime that takes place that severely affects all of them to the point where while they were young and still optimistic this was the thing that broke them all apart and yeah and we see that all these years later um you know just the trajectory of their lives uh in the aftermath of that that original event um there's there's this one there's quite a few characters where we get flashbacks and we get to see elements of their past and how it affects them and and yeah it's it just something that reaffirms my belief that the idea of the burden of history is something that uh really does affect 
that is a reoccurring theme within this series. Uh, there's this one character by the name of Diesel, and he is... How do I... Well, okay. I guess we're in spoiler territory at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Diesel is uh, this character who's arrested on the Indian reservation. He's he's a pretty pretty standard-looking white guy, I guess, is the only way that I can describe him. Blonde hair, blue eyes. But he's someone who is constantly... Basically sees himself as Native American. He really, really yeah. wants to be Native American, you know? He's like whatever the Native American equivalent of a weeb is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't know how he got it in his mind that, you know, these various elements are what he needs to, <laughs> you know, uh, make himself an, an Indian. But... He, he fully immerses himself in this stuff in the hopes that he can sell the belief that he's got even the slightest hint of Indian blood in him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what we find out is he's actually the second undercover cop that the F, that the feds send in to uh, infiltrate this this uh, the reservation. But the guy is well, he's a sociopath. He's just completely destructive he he ends up murdering people and uh just causing havoc and because he's with the feds he's under all kinds of protection and eventually he runs afoul of dashiell badhorse but at one point we get his backstory and we learn that he was a kid who grew up in this indian community and they just ridiculed and bullied him mercilessly. And even though he just kept telling people, no matter how much he wanted to believe that he was one of them, uh, at, in the end, you know, he was just basically just a, a run-of-the-mill white kid. And it got to the point where his father uh, was just, you know, this was just an abusive drunk. He eventually, because of all this resentment towards his father, like he eventually finds a way to trick some people on the reservation into into killing his dad and putting him, getting him out of that situation, basically. Mm-hmm. But, but we really do see, I, I think you can make that connection where, you know, that resentment towards his father and you know, being rejected by the Indian community just really put him in the place where he was in the present, which is he still really wants to be recognized as this Native American person, but at the same time, he treats them pretty badly, you know? It's a weird yeah. it's a weird dichotomy to have, but this character yeah. is just all over the place. It's complicated. Um, it is, it is. There's this one issue that was called A Come to Jesus. And this was a one-off story about a sheriff, Wooster Carnow. And he's someone that shows up later in the series. And he he's a sheriff that exists on the outskirts of the Indian Reservation. And he's just kind of there to uh, like 
he's kind of a joke character that's just there to bully the people on the reservation and he thinks he has one up on them because no matter what he thinks of them he can at least tell himself that you know he's a white sheriff doesn't (laughs) have to live their lives Um, yeah but what ends up happening is uh he has this moment where he he tries to this whole time he's going around and he's telling people you know just what a big deal he is as a sheriff. He he has a pretty high opinion of himself. And one night, you know, something happens where he's confronted by the fact that the Indians, uh, the criminal element, uh, the criminal Indians on this reservation, uh, they don't think very highly of him at all. And to some level, he's he's a joke to them and he doesn't really have the kind of power that he thinks he has. And it just sets him on this path where he's eventually going to do some stuff that's going to affect the overall larger story. But again, it's just this thing where everyone in this story just seems to have a chip on their shoulder and it's something that they carry around with them. And it's this idea that your history is the thing that shapes you. you know? Yeah. Well, and ultimately I, I do think that the story is a, pretty heavy tragedy it is totally totally is like there are there are some characters that i think kind of end on a more optimistic note like i I do think carol's story arc is a pretty encouraging one but then there are characters like dino where he just like falls into this pit that's darker and darker every time and you know by the end of the story he's almost unrecognizable from the person he was at the beginning yeah just yeah. you know followed he just made a series of increasingly bad choices and you know i guess there was also unfortunate uh things that maybe were above his control but you know it, it's still a pretty tragic thing to see yeah. and, and shoot i i think dash's fate i think that's a pretty tragic story too like it's it's not tragic in the sense that he dies at the end or something like that, but I feel like the the feeling that the ending leaves us with is this one that's ultimately tragic and like I think it's tragic, but maybe if if I'm in a more optimistic mood, I could perhaps convince myself by <laughs> telling telling myself that it's merely only melancholy. Uh well, I mean, if we're gonna breach the subject of the ending, I, I guess I can. We can just go into it. Um, I I do think that the one of the main points of the ending, at least as far as I'm interpreting it, was that if we're if we're to follow the idea that history is baggage to these characters and that history repeats itself, then the ending basically shows that you know the 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 way that everyone lives all of our characters live uh they're trapped in this never-ending cycle and what we see is that all the characters more or less take on the roles of other characters within the story that we see by the end of it you know Mm -hmm. so uh lincoln red crow i believe he 
you know, Lincoln Red Crow at the beginning of the story is in charge of the reservation, but after the events of everything that happens, he he basically becomes the crazy old man that lives out in the wilderness. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh Gina assumes the role more or less of uh I think her name is Granny not Adam. Oh, you mean uh Carol? Oh yeah, Carol, sorry. Yeah. Carol basically assumes the role of um was it He's Granny like the Madeline? healer or I forget the title, but she replaces the grandmother that kind of took her in. Exactly. And you know, maybe that's the most or the least bad thing to happen to any of them. <laughs> yeah, I I guess that's fair I, to say. I'd even say that's a good thing for her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that sucks about that is she's the one who has to sit around and watch everything happen to everybody else. So Yeah, but it, it's still better than being a drug-addled heroin addict. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then <laughs> when you when you mentioned uh Diesel, is that his name? Dino? Dino. I mentioned yeah. Dino. Yeah. Yeah, Dino. Like I'm pretty sure the trajectory of his courses he's gonna he's just gonna end up in a ditch really huh either that unless you unless you think he's got what it takes to continue rising up in the criminal underworld yeah the way i read it was he was probably gonna become the next lincoln red crow at some point and we all saw how that turned out for lincoln red crow yeah great yeah yeah but yeah, but like I said, maybe that's just a matter of interpretation. It it really just felt like all of the characters would end up becoming other characters in this great tragic cycle that that almost never ends. There's something so, kind of Shakespearean about the story. Absolutely. Revenge is such a big part of Dash's initial motivation at the beginning of the story. Yeah. And then uh you know it it even has a thing where kind of like hamlet or something he's trying to avenge his mother after she gets killed after in the end of the first trade uh and then like he just goes on this this big personal quest and he's this tempest of violence and fury that just drags down and destroys everything and everyone around him and he just, you know, sucks in all this violence and spits it back out tenfold. Yeah. But and then by the end, when everything has sort of calmed down, he's. It's like you were saying earlier about the whole element of the past being, you know, foundational for these characters. It, the only way that he could get out of that cycle is to completely leave the reservation. And I, f- I feel like that in and of itself is something that's kind of sad. Like it feels like a a sad commentary on what it means when people say you can't go home again, you know, because yeah. there was nothing good for him when he went back home. You could say, okay, he helped take down uh, Red Crow and, you know, maybe he did a few things that helped the feds or whatever, but I don't know. Was it worth it? Was it worth yeah. it for him? 
that 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 was he paid a high cost for everything that happened and uh, in in some ways uh, if he if he had never joined the FBI in the first place and never gone back to the reservation he would have been better off <laughs> maybe maybe well unless you unless you think that he had to go back otherwise he couldn't just like if there was something some kind of force that compelled him to go back in the first place otherwise he wouldn't be who he is then I, I guess you could make the argument that he had no choice. But from a practical standpoint, yeah, I think he would have been better off if he never went back home. Yeah. I was of course, say, he wouldn't have a story either, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to read the alternate universe, universe version of, of Scalped where he goes off and it's about him not going back to the reservation. <laughs> <laughs> that should be an Elseworlds comic. It's just him living out his life as a stockbroker or yeah. an accountant. <laughs> I was going to say, at the end of the story, though, I think it's not just that he leaves the reservation, because by the end of the story, I think the FBI are still after him. So he, he has to live on the run, right? That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. no way to live. Yeah. So what ends up happening is he gets let out of prison or I don't even know if he gets let out of prison, but he, you know, he he bunks down with another character in this story. Uh, I forget her name, but she's a woman. Maggie. Part of, Maggie's part of the reservation. I forget he, her uh, full name, but yeah, her name is Maggie. She's yeah, like a community organizer or, or leader or something. She's an activist. Yeah. yeah. So She's like he, one of the few normal good people in the story, basically. Like, she doesn't really have any... Uh, history of violence yeah yeah exactly but what ends up happening is he ends up instead of ending up with carol he he ends up with her um we don't really get too much of an insight into their relationship like but what ends up happening is the fbi come after him and he has to abandon uh maggie and we learn in you know the the final few pages of the the series that yeah she's actually pregnant with his child and he has to live his life on the run from the fbi which is exactly what happened to his dad yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, so it's it's and and the presumption is that the child that maggie has is going to just end up growing up just like him it's going to be a cycle of violence yeah, so I really did feel like a lot of the story was about how history burdens everyone in this community and just perpetuates this endless cycle, like a never-ending, uh, you know, monster just feeding on its own tail. Um, as we just see, like, these characters evolving and becoming other just other players in in the in the same never-ending story um yeah one thing i also want to comment on i don't think i uh mentioned it earlier but most of the covers for scalped were done by jock who's i think he's a great artist he's a i think he's scottish i'm pretty sure jock is not his actual real name but yeah. uh he, he did most of the covers and uh, when you co- compare the covers to issue one and issue 60, the last issue, there's a pretty beautiful symmetry to it. And the last issue has has Dash 
uh, and on, he's like in the same posture with the same expression as he was in in the first issue. Except in the first issue, he's got uh, the feathered headdress, uh, and in the last issue, instead of a feathered headdress, he's got a young boy on his shoulders holding the nunchucks that are wrapped around uh, that were wrapped around his neck in the first issue. So even though we don't actually see his son being born in the issue, I think that cover says it all, man. And his son has this mean little glare on his face. And his son is the one who's holding those nunchucks, the nunchucks that were heavily associated with as Dash's weapon of choice early on in the series. Yeah. So I, I feel like that symbolizes everything that we need to know about the cycle of violence. Yeah, yeah. It's a great cover. I I also did want to talk about one other issue in, that really jumped out at me, which was issue 50. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, an issue called The Art of Scalping, I think. Um, and, you know, this was a big uh, issue because obviously it's the 50th issue for them and it's a, it's a milestone. And, you know, 10 issues later, we would see the end of the series. But the interesting thing about this issue was it's it's a one-off issue that takes place in the past. And uh, there's there's a short story earlier on about these, uh, these scalpers, you know, getting their comeuppance. But in the later section of the story we see uh this native american person who is who, who we find out is actually the ancestor of dashiell bad horse and what what we're w- witnessing in this issue is the moment where the federal government take his tribe and they forcibly relocate them to this reservation and in that moment, uh, you know, uh, Dashiell's ancestor is completely resistant to them and unwilling to. He's so resistant to to the federal aid, to the military, the federal agents that are trying to forcibly put him on this land that he won't even <laughs> let his feet touch the ground, you know. And and what ends up happening is, you know, they get violent with him, and they accost him and in the moments before he dies he sees a vision of the future and this vision of the future is a retrospective of all of the characters uh that are in the series and some of the scenes that are being played out and Mm -hmm. it talks about how you know even though this is kind of the low point for them this land is going to be where they're going to like stand up and rise up and you know reclaim their i guess their heritage and i want to say like their freedom you know um their dignity and and yeah i i i do think that's an issue that sort of goes back and speaks to the idea of just you know how history plays such a big role in this story and how, um, you know, everything, it almost feels like everything 
that does happen stems from obviously it stems from something that happened that has happened already you know but it just feels like it's such a big part of this series yeah 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 that was a 50th issue that did something special yeah you're trying to say that we should try to <laughs> mimic that for our 150th episode? <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that. I'm just making an observation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While we're talking about issues that we really liked, one more uh, single issue that stands out to me is issue 12. Uh-huh. And this is, an, this is an issue called Dreaming Himself into the Real World. It's another issue that isn't by R.M. Guerra. It's, it doesn't even have a drop cover. This cover is by Dave Johnson, but the issue interiors were by John Paul Leon, who is one of my favorite artists ever. Um, and th- it might be a, kind of a stereotypical thing to think of the, you know, the, the mystic element of Native American culture, but this, this issue does kind of play on that idea except you know it's more of a a dreamlike uh mysticism not not so much like anything overtly supernatural but it's an issue that's mainly taking place in dash's head and in his dreams and i'm usually not a guy who cares too much about stories that that are uh, centered around a character dreaming but this one did stand out to me and maybe partly of the, that was because of the artwork but i i do think it goes a long way into establishing who dash is and what his motivations are and his relationship with his mother and his relationship with his heritage and it's a a really well done story in you know another single issue that stands out. I I don't think this one could be accused of being filler even though it's a dream. It's still got the main character and it does advance the plot somewhat. Nice. Did you have anything else to say about the originality or did you want to move on to the impact of the series? We can move on. Sure. So, you know, one of our criteria being impact, uh we'd have to look at this from that standpoint and uh you know, if I had to be completely transparent with ourselves, um, this wasn't something, this wasn't one of the criteria that I could give this series a lot of points for. I do think that critically speaking, uh, this was a book that got a lot of, I want to say, well, maybe not. Yeah, it got plenty of accolades. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I don't remember if... It won any specific awards, but you can definitely tell just from the various pull quotes on the collected editions that he had the respect of his peers, like Brian K. Vaughn and Garth Ennis were all really high on on the series. Ed Brubaker's, uh, like they all (laughs) did uh, forwards for each of the um, deluxe hardcovers that he wrote. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty impressive, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jason Starr was like so I don't yeah. remember all of them but uh I know Ed Brubaker did one forward, uh Brian K. Vaughn did one, Jason Starr did one and Garth Ennis did one. And those are, you know, 
again, here in 2022, those are all huge names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so clearly he had the respect of uh, his contemporaries. Years. Yeah, so, but as as far as leaving a mark, I don't think it was a massive sale juggernaut. I don't know the numbers or anything, but it did last 60 issues, so it must have done decently well enough. Huh. I don't think it, uh, you know, really... It doesn't exist in the zeitgeist of the masses all these years Yeah. Out. In fact, yeah. the only time I've heard about it in recent memory is when Jason Aaron got in trouble for writing some stuff in his Conan comic, and some people yeah. got mad that he wrote a Native American story entitled scalped yeah uh, which is something I, I also wanted to address a little bit but we can save that for later <laughs> yeah I, I think as far as impact goes the probably the most impactful thing about it is that scalp gave jason aaron a pretty high profile and that was when marvel snapped him up signed yeah. to an exclusive with the caveat that he was still allowed to finish writing scalped yeah. But yeah, ever ever since then, uh if you look at his bibliography, he hasn't he hasn't really done anything for DC. Yeah. Although, you know what? You never know. Uh, DC has been snatching up a lot of people uh on the Marvel side of the pool lately. Maybe if they uh bring him back into their fold, they'll do a scalped omnibus. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure Jason Aaron, for whatever deal he's getting at Marvel, at some point, just for the sake of his creativity, I'm sure he's going to want to, you know, go back and do some DC stuff or just focus on his own stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah prob- probably his own stuff, I would imagine. It, it it would be tough for me to picture Jason Aaron sitting there chopping at the bit hoping he can have a chance to write batman or something <laughs> uh, i will say i could be curious about a superman story that he could write yeah of course i would want to read a, a superman story by jason aaron i just at this point in his career it kind of feels like it's beneath him yeah he's 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 had the chance to do so much with some of the most major characters that yeah, it's like you said. It, it, I don't know if there's any real draw for him to do Batman at this point. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, unless he just really wants to, which is which, which would be fine, I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I, I would totally want to read it if he did. Yeah. Hey, there are some people who are totally about the idea of being able to write Batman someday. I think Mark Miller always wanted to write Superman, but for whatever reason, I think they just... Like the DC highest or closest us. he ever. <laughs> DC hates I think, us. I think the closest he ever got was he just got to write uh, the Superman animated stories and. He did the comic book based on the animated series. Yeah, yeah, that was as close as I think he ever got. Don't forget um, Red Sun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. I also think of the stories of JMDM uh, when he wanted to write Spider-Man, and for whatever funny reason, like he was really. He really wanted to be on Amazing Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> That's the flagship get, title, man. Yeah. But I mean, if you were offered the choice between Amazing Spider-Man 
or Todd McFarlane's adjective list Spider-Man? Which would you pick? <laughs> Definitely amazing. <laughs> Definitely you think that's amazing. funny? Yeah, T-Mac sucks. I laugh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I remember... I could be remembering this wrong, but I think even when, by the time they gave him the chance to do Amazing Spider-Man, I think at that point he might have been doing the Ben Riley Spider-Man. So, oh, uh, J.M. DeMatteis. Yeah. So I do remember even... J.M. DeMatteis wrote Amazing Spider-Man issue 400, the one where Aunt May dies. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was a really good issue. Yeah. So you know. Never underestimate the power of someone's willingness to to write a specific character or title. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, in terms of impact, it's I I do know that there was some stuff that they mentioned about online about how scalped they tried to make scalped a show. I think there was even a pilot, but what ended up happening was it just no one picked it up. Um, Did they actually film the pilot? According to the Wikipedia article, uh, they actually filmed the pilot and they showed it to whatever studio uh, they were trying to option it to, and they just flat out got rejected. Oh, man, I wonder uh, if there's a bootleg copy of that pilot floating around anywhere. I tried to look it up on YouTube. I didn't see it. Um, Dang it. I do remember... must be really locked into the vaults. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, how Global Frequency, they tried to make that a show, and I do think YouTube has the pilot yeah, for that. Yeah, I think that pilot exists. I think it's out there in the wild somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, it's a thing. Um, but... I'm not necessarily rooting for HBO uh, nowadays just because they've done some pretty crappy things lately. Uh, you know, I don't have too much faith in their ability to see things through to fruition. So I was going to say they're, who knows, maybe someday Scalped will make it onto HBO. Uh, oddly enough, it, you know, seeing as how Jason Aaron cites The Wire as one of his influences for the show. Mm -hmm. On some level, it does feel like Scalped would work on 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 HBO as a channel, but I don't know. Since HBO is so closely tied with the WB, I, I kind of don't have that level of faith in them. Yeah. It'd be funny to see a, a, a WB... Arrowverse version of Scalped. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Jason Aaron's turning over in his grave right now. Yeah. Future Jason Aaron is turning over in his grave. <laughs> uh, you don't want to see that, Drew? Uh, a, teen, a teen drama version of Scalped? <laughs> Remember that old DC character called Scalp Hunter? <laughs> they could just use that character. Uh, another funny thing on Wikipedia that I read, now that you brought it up, was uh, Scalped actually, I think it began initially as a story for that Scalp Hunter, but yeah, they it evolved into its own thing. 
I don't yeah. know how true that is. Uh, that could just be one of those urban legend things, but hey. <laughs> Scalp Hunter, uh, he might be one step above Apache Chief. <laughs> I, I think the name does more harm than good. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're both... Uh, Less than ideal ideas. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in different directions, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked up uh, Scalp Hunter on Wikipedia, and apparently he appeared in the Blackest Night crossover. <laughs> he was a Black oh. Lantern. <laughs> oh, man. Along with Black Lantern Jonah Hex and Batlash. <laughs> so he teamed up with two of DC's most famous cowboys. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Okay. Sure. As a black lantern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's man. terrible. That's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's something we we gotta discuss uh, on its own episode someday. Just black what the proper night? way, the proper way to like do Native American characters on on in comics. <laughs> yeah. Jason Aaron did, yeah, we mentioned earlier, he did do that one uh, American Eagle uh, web series or web story. Yeah, I actually never read it. Same here. I think it might have been put in some book somewhere, some random book, but I never had a chance to read it myself. you have anything else to say on the impact? No, not a whole lot, because I think we've established this book didn't really seem to leave too big of an impact, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of the reason why we are promoting it on this podcast, and really to anyone who will listen, um, you know, we 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 want it to have its time in the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about its ability to withstand the test of time. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Drew? I think it goes back to the conversation topic that we've gone back to here and there uh, throughout the course of this episode, but it's just the idea of the potentially, maybe not even potentially, but certain elements of the story being problematic, especially in terms of representation. Because I do think that there are certain elements that haven't aged too well, in the past 10 years since the series finished and I could, or at the very least I I would say that I could see future generations of readers finding certain elements of the story far more problematic than we do right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you alluded to it uh, a few minutes ago when you mentioned the uh, backlash that Jason Aaron got uh, earlier this year. Um, because of what he was doing over at Marvel with Conan comic. So for for those of you who uh, either missed it or don't remember, earlier this year, Jason Aaron was writing a King Conan miniseries for, for Marvel. And one of the characters that he created in that story was pretty obviously based or inspired by Uh, Native American uh, culture and he gave that character uh, 
a specific name. Uh, I forget the name off the top of my head, but essentially it, it was the name of Pocahontas, uh, like her actual, the, the actual historical figure's name. And uh, the character in the Conan comic was not treated well because, you know, it's a female character in a Conan comic. So yeah. you kind of know. It's kind of a sultry, uh, I want to say like a, a, a witch or an enchantress or something. Yeah, and, and just the the sexual nature of it, it, yeah. it caused a, a big controversy where people were upset that Jason Aaron, you know, he, that disrespectful. He, yeah, it was disrespectful, you know, very disrespectful. Yeah. And that led to people calling him out on social media, especially Twitter, just questioning, like, who did he think he was to do something like that or, you know, whatever. And it, it drew a lot of attention from people who, who don't normally read comics. That led to those people discovering that this white guy wrote Scalped. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, it's a, it's a comic about Native Americans and it's titled Scalped. And yeah. some people got pretty upset yeah. by that information. So, um, not a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Light, that was, it lights up everything else. It was definitely not a good look. Yeah. That was, that was pretty tough. So, I, I, I think there's a possibility that as time goes on, people without any context of what the story is, they'll just know that it's a story about Native Americans and it's called Scalped. People in the future, 20 years from now, might look at Scalped and laugh at it the same way that we laugh at Scalp Hunter or Apache Chief. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. Um, yeah, it's hard to discuss it without talking about what happened to Jason Aaron recently because, you know, that was that was not something that I could really defend. Like... Again, yeah, I I like Jason Aaron. I like his comics. I like his writing, and I I respect his work. But you know, if if you take that historical person and your depiction of them isn't necessarily a serious one, I that's something where I could see or understand people being upset by that. It's yeah. It's, it's such a specific name too. It's something that you know. Matoaka. Really... I just looked it up. Princess Matoaka. Uh, I could be mispronouncing it, but yeah, that that was the name. Uh, and again, he he's someone who has done research into Native American history and culture. So, and it's yeah. such a specific name. He obviously didn't just like randomly come up with yeah, the with the exactly. syllables, you know. Yeah. So, um, but to his credit, he he did apologize after it happened, and uh, from what I understand, he even donated uh, the money f he made from that issue to uh, I forget exactly what organization, but some kind of it was either some kind of uh, nonprofit or a, a Native American yeah. activist group or something. Yeah, I mean, I think realistically speaking, people aren't perfect. They're gonna make mistakes, and the most we can ask of them is that they're willing to, you know, take responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Ask exactly. for forgiveness. It's better than some basketball players I know. 
<laughs> As we are recording this, Kyrie Irving is in the midst of a suspension. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think that it's sad that that all of that tumult would come back and affect something like Scalped. And and I I I mentioned this earlier that you know the the fact that that's the very title of the book is something that in spite of all of my the positive things that I do have to say about the series it's it's something that is harder for me to defend uh, I don't Yeah, it's hard to defend because it's in a title that's very intentionally provocative. Yeah, yeah. Confrontational. Yeah. Like there's a lot of connotations to uh the word scalped and it's very much tied to you know historically it's tied to uh native native peoples and their uh tragic history and it's just the sort of thing where <sighs> yeah I, I i can't say that as a title it's it's aged well and that it's anything that we can necessarily like overlook or ignore um and maybe this is my my cheap answer out which is in, in spite of its title like the work is still a solid piece of work and it which deserves to be judged on the merit of its content and yeah i i, I acknowledge that the the title isn't ideal uh the title for the series isn't ideal but uh i i don't think that the work should disappear because of it you know yeah yeah i, I agree yeah. i agree I, w yeah. I would understand i do understand why it would make people upset though so I, yeah yeah it it's it's weird because uh i do like the comic a lot but i also want to try to be at least sympathetic to the people that are offended yeah. so i like i was trying to like think about how i would feel if a white guy wrote a comic about chinatown a crime comic about chinatown yeah. where it was just all these you know cd characters and uh, everybody was a member of the triad or playing mahjong or something yeah uh and and they called the comic book the title would be like fortune cookie or something you know yeah it reminds me of a European comic that I actually did like. Uh, it was called Chinaman, actually. <laughs> no, no, this is a real comic. I, I remember reading it when uh, I was trying to, to, to read more European comics. But Wait, it, that that's the actual title? Yeah. And it's... How did they get away with that? <laughs> Maybe they just have different standards in Europe. <laughs> Jeez. But here's the thing. So uh, the comic was about this. Man, I feel like just describing it is just going to make it that much harder to talk I'm, I'm about. I'm waiting to, to hear you say something racist. <laughs> I'm at the edge of my seat right now, Albert. <laughs> so the comic is about... Um, 
I want to say the the immigration of Chinese people in that uh, I want to say during the Gold Rush era, something something to that effect. But mm-hmm. it's its main character. I, I forget the main char- character's name, but he comes over here, and I think he's part of the Imperial Court or something like that. And what ends up happening is he gets caught up in a murder. And, you know, he it's basically the story of Kung Fu, the legend continues, you know, so he (laughs) he comes over here and he, you know, the the master that he serves ends up getting murdered, but he ends up getting revenge. But because the authorities see him as a threat, he goes on the run. And as he's on the run, he. He uh, puts away his his real name and goes for the name that Chinese people are called when t- when they come to this country. Um, you know, the, the generic name that they gave to a bunch of Chinese people, which was Chinaman, right? So his, mm-hmm. his actual name became John Chinaman. And it's about his adventures as he goes through, you know, the countryside, uh, you know, solving crimes with Kung Fu. <laughs> All right. Uh, I can't say I'm eager to read that comic, but I'm glad you liked it, Albert. I it's I don't know. Like I think historically speaking, uh, like the name makes sense. But yeah, I, I yeah, even explaining it now to you, it it's something that I can't. Uh, I can't it's funny, necessarily it, justify. <laughs> it's it's funny to me that you have so much hesitancy reading European comics, but that's the one that you decided to, to read. You went out of your way to read it. Well, the thing was, in a vacuum, if you like, don't look at the title, it's actually not a bad comic. You know, it's, it's right, right. It's it's fine on its own, but that title just jumps out at you. It does. It does. Yeah, uh, but you know, one could say the same for scalped, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Um, yeah. So I think I think that same logic applies to scalped in a vacuum. If 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 I gave this book to someone and they never saw the title and they just read it, I think on its own it's pretty compelling and it's engaging storytelling right yeah there are just elements within the book and it doesn't help that the title is one that is quite as shocking and provocative as that so yeah like in large part it does feel like the title is one of the the hardest things to get over in terms of what makes this you know something that truly withstands the test of time without hitting bumps. Yeah. 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 The other thing that I was thinking of when it comes to representation in the book is the character of Shanka. Because he's the only, well, I don't know if he's the only, but he's the 
most prominent homosexual character in the comic and like what ends up happening to him is pretty messed up too so i I, that's another thing where i could see people uh you know taking offense at that yeah well i mean since we're in spoiler territories you mind refreshing my memory because i don't I know, I remember him as a character, and I, I remember he he had a pretty big role in the story, but I don't yeah. remember what happened to him. Yeah, he was the dude who was uh, Red Crow's, second in I guess, command, it, right? yeah, like his second-in-command or his uh, right-hand man, yeah, bodyguard type, but uh, we eventually learned, like, at first he just seems like, you know, typical soldier type of character like this really hard-nosed uh serious guy who's yeah who's trusted by the big bad super on top of it on top of stuff yeah exactly and then later on in the story we learn that he's homosexual and he's just closeted and he doesn't uh like nobody really knows so red crow doesn't doesn't know and shanka and and uh dash they're they're pretty antagonistic towards each other um so what ends up happening is, is that shanka and dash have this this really big uh conflict and then we also learn that shanka has been in love with red crow this whole time and actually uh kisses him on the on the mouth uh which leads to his exile from the reservation and then after that he he gets into this big fight shanka gets into this big fight with dash uh and even though he wins the fight afterwards he uh basically sees he comes across red crow because i think red crow comes upon the scene and then uh shanka like basically tries to confess his love to red crow but i think before he finishes the words red crow straight up kills him <laughs> yeah is that uh ringing any bells for you i i actually forgot that uh part of it i mean i remembered the revelation that he was uh you know gay but i i totally forgot how how that story part of the story ended yeah yeah so that that, that's a pretty uh harsh outcome for the character and you know it's one of those things where again you could chalk it up to this being a really hard-nosed gritty crime comic where there's it's just populated with a bunch of bad people and there's death everywhere and you know death spares no one death doesn't discriminate but then uh you know from a, a reader's standpoint you could also look at it as how how come how come the one gay character or the one prominent gay character in the book uh you know gets treated like that yeah it it kind of does feel like pretty harsh. harsh yeah 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 well maybe this is a cop out on my part but back to the idea that this is something that I do think people should read in spite of some of the more questionable elements of it. Uh, 
feel like maybe maybe that's my hope is that people can read it with a more analytical and critical eye as opposed to something that they take purely on face value. And, yeah. And maybe that's the thing that can be like redeeming about it outside of, you know, just being a heck of a a, a crime story, right? Is mm-hmm. like the analysis of what it has to say like learning from the, these cruelties as opposed to glorifying them mm-hmm. um yeah I, like they're i feel like such an apologist <laughs> 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 i feel like there's there's a bunch of different books that exist out there that we should read even even if there are things about them that we find uncomfortable. You know, like one of the things, one like one example that I can think of is something like Uncle Tom's Cabin, which isn't, it's not something that I've read, but I know enough about it to know that, you know, if if you read it from a modern perspective, it's something that people would definitely find insulting. Mm-hmm. But if you read it with like a historical lens, like there's things that it says about people through context without necessarily justifying any of the like archaic beliefs that they're espousing. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and just to clarify, I don't think Jason Aaron's a bad person or that. Yeah. Like willingly went out of his way to be like disrespectful. Like, like we were saying earlier, he he's just a guy trying to tell a good story, and you know sometimes there are just blind spots in in our in the way that we handle things. So you know, I I, I certainly don't paint him as uh you mm-hmm. know a regressive type of person or anything. Yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So yeah, you guys try to give it a chance and you know look past some of the more uncomfortable things yeah yeah and i, I yeah and again I, I think it is fair to you know critique those things when you do come across them yeah yeah maybe might be even better to say that you should yeah it with with some sort of critique Right. With a critical mind. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. You got anything else? Mm, not specifically regarding withstanding the test of time as one of our criteria, but if we're wrapping things up, I guess I would just end by saying that despite the uh, potentially problematic issues that we've pointed out in the work i did really enjoy the series as a whole i like it a lot and just as a piece of crime fiction it like i i do like my crime comics and yeah as far as long form crime comics go this is pretty high up there for me yeah it's something that if i could add to what you're saying 
in terms of the things that I look for for out of crime comics, it's it's rife with those, you know. It's just there are just a lot of moments of people just being badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the things that I think of is um, the Mung Gang and and characters like Mr. Brass when he comes in there. That's a he's an intimidating mm-hmm. dude, man. And yeah. He, the build up to the showdown between uh Red Crow and the 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 Hmong gangsters and just how all that culminates that's you know that's just straight badassery right there <laughs> you know it's fun crime comics fun action so that's that's stuff that I really enjoyed about it yeah and it's just such a heavy emotional story too like it it definitely takes you on an emotional journey along with the characters maybe they're they're maybe a lot of the characters are in a place where you don't necessarily feel like you like them or that you vibe with them because they're so different and deep in into this dark world but i do think that they're extremely compelling characters and even the characters that i didn't like in the beginning of the story by the time I got to the end, like my opinion of them had changed, you know, like this was a story where I felt like just learning about these characters and how fully realized they turned out to be. That was some excellent stuff. Do you have any books that you would recommend, Drew, people who want to read other comics that would be like scalped? I guess the easy answer is just to point them to various other prominent crime comics you know you've got all your various brubaker and ed brubaker and sean phillips stuff or greg rucka comics or whatever or uh uh, brian azarello comics but one for whatever reason the one thing that popped into my mind and maybe it's because jock did the covers for scout but what popped into my mind as a recommendation is the losers which is also a vertigo series it's predates scalped by a few years the losers came out i want to say around 2003 and it it was only about half as long it only ran 32 issues and it was written by andy diggle and drawn by jock it's not exactly a crime comic it's more of a, a military espionage book but i think the feeling or the vibe that I find in common with both is that both stories are about revenge and the losers is about these soldiers or uh, I guess, I don't know what the technical term is, special forces or something, a a group of soldiers who were uh, betrayed by their CIA handler and left for dead. And now uh, they get a chance for revenge and, you know, they're essentially like undercover. So there's that kind of element that, it's sort of similar or comparable in some respects to the beginning of Scalped. And yeah, Jock's art is, it's super moody, really angular stuff, so stylish. And I, I think it really fits the book. Uh, and if you like the covers in Scalped, you'll like looking at the losers. Nice. Yeah, when I was thinking about it, the uh, the ones the books that came to my mind immediately were well, one of them is uh, The Goddamned, 
which is a series also by Jason Aaron and Aram Guerra. And the thing about that series is it's it's their grim and gritty take on Bible stories is is the short version of it. So it's them taking various uh yeah, the various stories from the Bible and just applying that filter to them and it's similar to scalped in that it's just kind of a no holds bar look at what uh what those environments would be like or those settings would be like in those stories it's 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 certainly not a sanitized version of uh bible stories it's i'd say it's equally as harsh as something like scalped um another story that i would recommend is men of wrath which is uh also jason aaron and illustrated by ron garney uh that's another comic that he did it's a five issue mini uh i would recommend that um and the last one, I, I, I give a little bit of a tepid recommendation, if that, to it, uh, which is Southern Bastards. Uh, part of my hesitation to fully recommend it is that, one, Jason Latour drew it. And, you know, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's, he's an artist who's done some pretty not great stuff in terms of harassment so <laughs> there's that uh, is there any great stuff in terms of harassment <laughs> if someone harassed hitler <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know we're at the end of the episode folks we have uh reached godwin's We've law godwin's law yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so that's that's one one questionable aspect of it, although we have recommended works by other questionable people on this series, so it's not the main thing. The main thing is because he got called out while the book was on hiatus, uh, there's a very good chance that we will never see the ending to the book. So the, the series went on hiatus, and uh, yeah, we're, we're probably never going to get back to it and never never going to get a definitive ending um Mm. but it was an interesting series uh i will say that i do think it's a series that's similar to scalped in that it's a story about uh historical baggage but it's instead of the setting being you know this indian reservation it's the setting in southern bastards is small town America and I guess the culture that they focus on is uh small town American football culture and how how in some of these small towns football is really kind of everything to them and you know what happens when that sort of obsession with local high school sports uh uh drives these people these characters to 
do everything that they can to maintain their status and uh you know yeah it just essentially what what people in these small towns the links that they're willing to go to through to have their team win and and just how that breaks down into violent crime mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a weird story to describe because again in a vacuum uh it it almost sounds kind of silly but it's unique it's unique and they play it in a way that's they play it straight so so there's that um yeah i think those are the books that i would recommend and tepidly recommend uh for people who want to read more comics that are like scalped what about 100 bullets by azarello and rizzo that's a good choice too 100 bullets uh by azarello and rizzo is another hard hard tack uh crime comic um i don't want to really want to give away too much about it because a big part of the series is its element of mystery but it it does it is something that captures the same sort of grittiness and uh darkness and the drudgery of a crime-laden world that scalped has and eduardo rizzo is just terrific so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um yeah I, I i that's that's another comic that i'd recommend i have a feeling you know it's something that we'll see again at some point yep makes sense to me good recommendations oh. Oh. oh what else what else i forgot yeah and this is this one isn't a comic but uh i did feel like it was worth mentioning which is the wire uh it's something that jason aaron himself did cite as an influence for scalped and oddly enough this week in preparation for this episode <laughs> I did end up watching some videos that were or that were reviews of the wire and I do think there are elements in the wire that he incorporated uh spiritually into scalped just the entire idea of their environment being or not their, their environment but their circumstances being uh a byproduct of just the cyclical nature of the beast of you know drugs and uh the degradation of their community so Mm -hmm. um i do think that's something that is worth checking out if you enjoy scalped sweet yeah i still gotta watch the wire at some point yeah if anything this week watching the review videos it did make me want to go back and watch it at some point uh it refreshed my my memory of it and just made and and refreshed my interest in it so it's been i want to say it's been maybe like 10 years since i watched it so maybe it's time to go back to it Hmm. yeah so 
if anyone has any uh, questions about, you know, what we read this week uh, about our episode, you know, feel free to hit us up on Between the Gutters podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on our Instagram at Between the Gutters. You know, you can just DM us or tweet at us at Between the Gutters. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or your own recommendations or uh, comments. If uh, you have anything that, oh, if you happen to be listening to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, if you could uh, rate us with uh, whatever is the highest rating or whatever you think is fair, we would appreciate that too. All right, everybody. Next week, I think if all goes well, we'll probably do an autopsy episode for Wakanda Forever. So stay tuned for that. And we will catch you next time. Peace out, everybody. Bye, guys.